This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 136, and our spoiler-filled discussion of Black Panther, the 18th film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Welcome back, fellow Defenders. This is Derek from Defenders TV Podcast, and we're here for episode 136 of Defenders TV Podcast for our spoiler-filled discussion of Black Panther. Yes, hello, fellow Defenders. Uh, this is John, one of your other hosts. And rounding out the croup, Wakanda forever, I'm Chris. <laughs> yes, we're here to talk about the 18th movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We just finished our coverage of The Punisher, all 13 episodes of the Netflix show, and this came out right in time, just after we'd finished 13 weeks of The Punisher. Um, so really delighted to talk back in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and really delighted to talk about the first of six Marvel films coming out this year. Yeah, it, it feels like for, this is a, a a joyous and belated, painful uh, time we are in where I was like yay we finished Punisher we're going to have a small break oh god Black Panther's coming <laughs> oh Jessica Jones coming right after yep. oh, oh, oh then Affinity War I'm like okay I, I'm loving the frequency uh-huh. I'm like kind of like this is great we're getting them like all the time now we're not going to get a holiday this year guys <laughs> nope <laughs> no. nope definitely not uh, we said at New Year's when we were doing our, our uh, end of year discussion at the end of 2017 that 2018 was going to be the biggest year for Defenders TV podcast. And it felt weird to start off the year halfway through a TV show and then record every single week and have an episode out every every week. And then we've had a break now for about a week and a half since the last time we recorded Punisher. But that's a very small break in terms of what we usually have. Uh, as Chris mentioned, we will be doing Jessica Jones when it comes out. We'll have our first episode of Jessica Jones out on March 8th as the all episodes are released on Netflix worldwide. Uh, we'll have our first episode out then. But John, we have another upcoming event as well that we'll be doing just to fit in, you know, just in case we have some extra time on our schedule to record. Yes, absolutely. Also uh, coming up is our run into the Damnation comic book crossover event. Uh, starting off on the 28th of February. Mm-hmm. Damnation number one is out on the 21st of February, and this crossover will include Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast, Sons of the Dragon, the Immortal Iron Fist podcast, and Inner Demons, a Ghost Rider podcast. So please come on over and subscribe to Apple Podcasts or go over to our website, DefendersTVPodcast.com and subscribe through any of the subscribe links there, any podcast catcher of your choice uh, and listen to this crossover event of podcasts uh, with the Damnation comic book series. Mm -hmm. And why are we doing Damnation? It's probably because we have been doing so much Doctor Strange coverage and this event is led by Doctor Strange. So it's a Marvel comic book event, has 15 issues overall in it. We'll be covering four Doctor Strange issues, the next four coming out. Our first one will be on the 28th of February, uh, but the first issue of Damnation number one is coming out on the 21st of February, and that will be covered over on Sons of the Dragon, the Immortal Iron Fist podcast. So there's four different podcasts all going to be covering it, uh, all covering individual issues. So uh, this is going to be a fun one. This is the biggest kind of crossover that we've ever done. Yeah, it's a, a big pick and mix of podcasts for you to really get your teeth into uh, and to really enjoy uh, this comic series. Mm-hmm. 
And guys, okay, uh, I'm gonna jump in here right here. Unfortunately, I cannot contain my excitement about talk about Black Panther. So, as I said, Wakanda forever. Let's get into this because, boy, have we got a lot to discuss. Mm-hmm. So, I would say typically, Derek, would you like to give us the uh, episode details? But to bring it out a bit different, Derek, would you like to give us this film's details? Absolutely, yes. This film was directed by Ryan Coogler. Uh, he wrote and directed the movies uh, Creed and Fruitvale Station, uh, both featuring Michael B. Jordan. And uh, He's also released an image for the upcoming Creed 2, the sequel, um, also starring Michael B. Jordan. So he obviously has quite a lot of uh, time for Michael. And I think as, we'll go through the, uh, as we go through the details of the movie, I think you'll probably get how much we all liked him in this role of Killmonger in, uh, in the movie as well. Um, it was written by Ryan Coogler, along with Joe Robert Cole, uh, who was co-producer and writer on American Crime Story Season 1, which is The People vs. O.J. Simpson. So uh, I love that series. Really yeah, really that. good. We're also uh, currently looking at the assassination of uh, Versace as well. The second series in the American Crime Story Season. That's been excellent. Yeah. 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 Uh, this movie, obviously, as we talk about the amount of stars that are in this movie, this is probably the one of the best casts I think uh, Marvel have put together. It stars Chadwick Boseman as, uh, obviously, the titular Black Panther, uh, T'Challa. Uh, also stars Michael B. Jordan, as I mentioned, Lupita Nyong'o, Danai Guerrera, Letitia Wright, Daniel Kaluuya, Martin Freeman, Angela Bassett, Andy Serkis, and Forrest Whitaker. Yeah, an absolutely excellent cast, and a really good team behind this movie overall. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for Black Panther? Sure. T'Challa, the Black Panther, after the events of Civil War, returns to his home, Wakanda, the reclusive, technologically advanced African nation. Back in his homeland, he takes up the mantle of his revered dead father, T'Chaka, to serve as his country's new leader. However, the past actions and secrets of T'Chaka quickly resurface, and the newly appointed king T'Challa soon finds that he is challenged for the throne by a resourceful and astute Wakandan. The newly arrived challenger named Eric Killmonger is filled with revenge. He works with the border faction of Wakanda to assert his claim on the throne and future path of Wakanda. As this new reality threatens Wakanda, the hero known as Black Panther must team up with his sister and past sweetheart, along with the leader of the Dora Milaje and CI agent Everett K. Ross to prevent Wakanda from initiating a new world conflict. Yeah, this is cool. This is a cool film for me. Um, And dare I say it now, I'm sure we'll come back to this later. Um, It has thrown a spanner in the works of my top five Marvel films, actually. Mm. Um, There is need to relegate one into sixth position at this stage. So, yeah, um, this was a good outing for me. Loved uh, the movie and can't wait to see it again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, really looking forward to seeing it again. Actually, really, really enjoyed it. And I'm kind of the same as yourself. I thought the top five Marvel films was just an easy decision. I had my five in line for years uh, as they've been coming out. And, yeah, I think it's uh, this Black Panther movie has kind of knocked us up there a little bit. The way we cover our movies is slightly different to the way we cover our episodes. We're not going to pick out five points that we liked because it's a big film, so picking out five individual points is quite difficult. Uh, The way we cover it when we do our movies is we talk about the hero, we talk about the villains, the supporting characters, and the two big battles that we see in the movie. There's always two battles in every Marvel movie, uh, so we'll we'll be talking about it that way. So let's kick off with our hero for this movie, T'Challa. Black Panther. Kind of interesting to have the character like this. He's We've seen him in Civil War, obviously that was his introduction, and where we're seeing him now is coming back to take over the mantle as King of Wakanda. Um, I really liked this idea. Yeah, I'm going to jump in here. I, I, I really liked the fact that we see growth in T'Challa. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time, I'm not going to get too 
negative on the MCU. Everyone knows how much I love and feel about these characters. But what we do see is someone who's reluctantly almost taking the mantle. He knows he has to, but the, the reluctance is that joke about don't freeze. Mm-hmm. We get that in the very opening title sequence, um, and we see don't freeze. And I think that comes, that's almost threaded throughout. So where he's slightly reluctant about kind of having to do, bring Wakanda into the global view. He's reluctant about forcing um, the fifth tribe to kind of unify Wakanda. He's reluctant about many, many, many things. Yeah. He's reluctant about telling his love, his soon-to-be queen, hopefully. Yes. He doesn't think he has the ability to lead like his father. And that's fine. And that's like, you get that in a lot of these kind of prince to king stories. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was quite interesting to see that. What we didn't get was, well, I suppose maybe we did. We got a slight origin in terms of the heart-shaped leaf. Absolutely. And like, we see how he gains his powers, mm-hmm. but it it wasn't one of those, let's have a flashback to when his father is sitting there telling him all about the history of Wakanda and the history of becoming a Black Panther and blah, blah. We got that in a one shot in the very, what, first two minutes? Yeah, yeah. And that was brilliant. It just explained everything and it just threw you into this massive film about world building. Yeah. But I I would actually go as far to say Wakanda is actually a hero. The nation is one of the heroes in the story as well as much as Shuri, as much, uh, oh, sorry. Not the titular hero, obviously that's Mm T'Challa, but a a secondary hero in that Shuri um, and the the, the rest of the guards, um, things like that. It's another large character in the story. Absolutely. It's it's really weird, isn't it? You know, because Marvel MCU is primarily, um, it's in New York, it's in these cities that we we know um, and, and in countries that we know. Uh, and for me, this took on the idea of building a world in the same way that, you know, DC builds Gotham and, and you live that city. It's part of the character. And Wakanda is being presented here. I love that opening sequence where it kind of gives you those little tidbits of, um, of, of the formation of this nation uh, and this country. I thought it was really, really good. Mm-hmm. I think. As well, I love the arc of the hero here. Um, you know, you get that crossover back to Civil War with the uh, aftermath um, of his his father's death, the, the, the previous king of Wakanda. Um, but I really liked how, you know, they strip away the powers of the Black Panther in, in the challenge uh, before he's crowned. You know, that the, the nation is given a chance to put forward a different person here to, to lead them as the king of Wakanda and that it has to be on equal measure. Yeah. Uh, and they, they strip back um, his, his powers and, and take back the Black Panther's um mojo really um, and and i think in addition to all of that um there were moments in this movie where i didn't feel sympathy for t'challa like almost when he is challenged by killmonger by eric um it's that idea that you know he he and his family don't have that divine right as a monarch mm. to to rule and there was an element of like seeing them close ranks to try and stop 
this outsider, even though he's Wakandan uh, in part, from taking on the mantle. You know, they didn't want him to challenge. It's only with um, the the help of the, the border tribe. There's kind of mixed emotions I, I found in that second challenge fight that I, I had uh, with T'Challa. You know, it's kind of, it, you almost feel as though they're trying to preserve their, their power. Where um, And it was a really nice mix-up to this character for me um, to see that kind of almost political side, yeah, uh, you absolutely. know, that succession. It, it's kind of like Henry VIII and his six wives kind of thing, you know, the blood, the gore, the betrayal, all these kind of things coming mm-hmm. in because it's based around being appointed uh, a king or, or queen, you know, of a nation. Yeah, I, I love the idea that the that the mantle of king, of king of Wakanda doesn't pass to him until all five tribes have said we agree with this, this is the right decision. Four of them say yes, and then we have M'Baku, the leader of the white gorilla tribe uh, from the mountains who makes the challenge. There was no doubt in my mind that T'Challa was going to win that, of course, that that, that that battle had to happen because it does tell you there is a great society in here and eventually everybody will be on the same side with a new, with a new leader. But I love that idea. Um, one of the things I do also love about T'Challa as a character, what he's trying to do is just maintain, effectively. He's been uh, he'd been the Black Panther to T'Chaka, his father, who was the leader of Wakanda for many, many years. And effectively, all he's trying to do is just keep things exactly the same as his father ran, uh, ran Wakanda before. So his central question when Killmonger comes to him is, do I change and do I build a brand new Wakanda with this new knowledge that I have? Or do I just lead it the way my father did in the past? Um, I love that arc. That's a really good arc for the character. Uh, do you just keep going the way everything's been going in the past? It's all fine. We'll keep everything exactly the same as it has been for 2,000 years. Or do you move on and build something brand new? That's kind of where the hope comes out of this film for me. That's where the that's where the kind of uplifting moment at the end when we see what happens comes from. It's all from T'Challa's character, which is perfect when you're making a film called Black Panther about the character. Yeah, definitely. It, it's really weird, but that kind of final speech, I think it was in one of the end credits um, mm. at the UN in Austria, back where his father had been blown up. It says something when you kind of really connect with what he's aspiring to do and is almost speaking better than most politicians in reality mm-hmm. that a, you know, a comic book adaptation is providing probably more connection to me with how um, you should view the world, view other people uh, within that than most politicians. Yes. Um, you know, okay, I know it's just a, a story, but that was the thing that I found and really hit me coming out of that. I was like, that was so good. You know, maybe some other people should really say that kind of positive, inspiring stuff um, in public. Yeah. Speaking of that one moment, they cut it 30 seconds too quickly. I was just <laughs> like, I just wanted them to press a button or something and like something really high tech would happen. This mm-hmm. is like, your majesty, what exactly can Wakanda give to us? Yeah. yeah. And I just wanted him to just go, like literally that's the this? mic drop moment where he's just yeah, absolutely. the mic and then everything just goes, or things start hovering or... I, if that was your I'm Iron Man Tony Stark moment, mm-hmm. yeah. you cut it just 30 seconds, two seconds too short. I know what you mean. I, I, I completely agree with you there. I mean, I love the grin on T'Challa's face, absolutely. But yeah, if, I don't know, one of their sort of 
uh, I was going to say spaceships, but one of their transporters just kind of like hovers down mm. in front of the the, the Bugatti spaceship. I think is one of the yeah. one of the kids. Yes. Uh, but is this not a, is this not an MCU joke? Now this is the second movie that we've had after Captain Captain America: Civil War, where Cap ends the film with the word Avengers. And they cut it off before assemble, so maybe they just cut it off as a little gag. Uh, uh, I was really, I was really surprised that this moment was in the post credits. Was a post credit scene. It's, it seems like something that should be the end of the film, but um, but it was great. I loved, I loved having it. Maybe they just know everybody sits in the cinema and watches the post credit scene, so it doesn't really matter whether you put it after some credits or not. Yeah. Okay, guys, I want to jump kind of from that just quickly back to our hero itself, right? So we've mm-hmm. seen Black Panther now. In Civil War, we saw his suit there. Now we've seen his second incarnation of the the suit and this technology aided Black Panther. Mm-hmm. What do we think of the the fights, the style, I should say, and the suit? And like taking into account where he drops from the this opening scene where he suddenly just puts his hands on his chest and drops from the 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 spaceship, or not the spaceship again. Yeah, the the transport. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, that, the hover jet. He drops from it and he spins the the EMP devices, mm-hmm. and that's his original suit. And then he gets the upgrade with the kinetic. What do we think? I because I'm personally in love with this. Yeah, it's very agile. He's a lot more agile in this, and he's a lot more. I, he's a lot more what I considered the comic book version of the Black Panther mm-hmm. in, in this film than he was in Civil War. Which is he's a lot more agile. He's jumping off cars, running along walls. He's spinning and kicking, versus where he was a lot more brutish, in my view, in Civil War. Right. What's your thoughts? Personally, what I love about it is the character connection. Again, they they set every bit of this up with his sister Shuri in the background, being as knowledgeable as she is, as technologically advanced as she is. Like she totally rivals um, Tony Stark here. I'm waiting for the moment in the MCU where she looks at his suit, Mark 48 or Mark 763, and goes, this is what you came up with? I can do one that's controlled by my mind uh, to suddenly form on my brother, you know? Um, I can make a much better suit than you, Tony. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that moment. She's got a, a really cocky, assured attitude. And by setting this development of T'Challa along with introducing this character of Shuri to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I think the two together combine to make it a really cool character and a really cool new version of Black Panther for me. Definitely. Like, I loved the... I loved how she is... Yeah, she is the Tony Stark of Wakanda. She is absolutely the brains behind the suit. I loved the kinetic energy stuff. I really uh, liked how that was done. I loved how she set up T'Challa as well when she was showing it to him. I thought that was really good fun. You know, just that kind of brother-sister kind of relationship that they had, sort of riffing off one another. really enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I I loved that. I loved the range of suits. I mean, I think... Obviously, with Eric Killmonger getting his hands on one of them as well, I thought that was epic. Seeing those uh, the two Black Panthers going at it together mm-hmm. uh, was was really cool, and just how their their suits worked, um, yeah, really good. Um, I love the gadgetry oh, kind yeah. of stuff here. I know they're saying it's science, absolutely, but I think there's a bit of magic in there as well, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those little beads that were used to help um, rescue Everett Ross, 
what was it doing? It just did something to heal him. You know, like stabilize him or something. And They're so, definitely magic beads, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> I think the vibranium is more than just technology. But I, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Okay, so we've spoken about our titular hero. Mm-hmm. You can't be a hero without a villain. Yes. So should we jump into point two and speak about the one and only Ulysses Claw? Yes, yes, we have quite a few villains in the in the movie overall, and a couple that are standout. Uh, cool to see Ulysses Claw back, uh, played by Andy Serkis, back from Age of Ultron. So we have had him in the cinematic universe before. Um, that's where he lost his arm to Ultron, where uh, in a fit of rage, by mistake, Ultron sliced off his arm. Uh, and this time we see him back with a brand new arm created by somebody in Wakanda, um, who has given him this awesome arm that turns into a gun uh, to blow up cars and blow up everything around him. I really love the performance of Andy Serkis in here. I think he's just just the right level of maniacal bad guy, um, where he adds a bit of fun to everything going on. There's some great little moments in there where where he's talking to Martin Freeman, and Martin Freeman jokes with him going, oh, do you have an album out? And he goes, yes, I'll send you the SoundCloud link. And Martin Freeman's going, no, no, I really don't want to hear you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> Real exactly. fun moments. But that, that, actually joke, that joke is actually carried a little bit later in the movie when we have the battle in Korea, and he's, he's saying to the guys, turn, up, turn on some music, what is this, a funeral here? That little joke where Claw has this background where he loves to have music on all the time. It's just nice little touches like that with the character. Um, but he is a proper villain in here. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, but I, I like how he's, he, he is on that edge. He enjoys the danger. He enjoys the chase and he's supremely confident that he will always get out of it, that mm-hmm. he knows how to. And I think that then I certainly wasn't expecting him, uh, to die in this. Uh, so, you know, that was fantastic just that they went there and did that, um, at the hands of Eric because up till then it's kind of he absolutely projects this image of invincibility um he and he's happy to ride that wave um of of death and challenge against the wakandans that you know he really detests you you get that sense he has absolutely no love for the wakandans and he relishes every time he is in battle with them yeah uh, and i really enjoyed uh, that aspect yeah um i really enjoyed andy circus's performance again mm-hmm. we kind of get a bit more as you said a sense of the the character of ulysses Claw. yeah i feel he was slightly one-dimensional mm-hmm. and he's an arms dealer he just wants the vibranium that's his motivation he wants yeah. money yeah, definitely. That, that was that is an issue that the MCU has in that we get these characters for two hours, three hours, and there's only so much character development you can give to some of these. Yeah, yeah. Um, but for the the performance, the delivery, the the in, it's a valid motivation. Mm-hmm. And like it is, it's if you're an arms dealer, you care about money, you care about yeah. the most powerful weapons. Yeah. That's what he wants. So, and he's he's effectively the only person outside of Wakanda that knows about the the amount of vibranium they've had. The the moment in in Age of Ultron where he's introduced and talks to uh, the Avengers around him about the fact that they have mountains of this stuff available, and he can only get small portions. I love the fact that they've carried that on from 
um, from Age of Ultron that he's still trying to get his hands on as much vibranium as possible, yet it's tiny quantities in comparison to the mountain that they have available within Wakanda. So that jealousy and that hatred of them for keeping this back from the arms dealers of this world is just palpable. Yeah, I, I love how when he hands over the vibranium uh, to Everett Ross, he's like saying, I was going to get an expensive metal case, but it's just wrapped up uh, in a bit of paper with fragile on it as yeah. well. You know, <laughs> um, The toughest, hardest uh, material known to man, uh-huh. uh, and it's got fragile on. I love the heist as well. Um, you know, and again, you, you just see that mercenary element of, of Claw where he allows one of the security guards to, to run away and then shoots him in the back. And he's like, we've got to spread the bodies out. It's got to look like, you know, a real deal kind of uh, theft yeah. of, of this stuff. It's got to look like we're amateurs. Yeah. Yeah, is, is the point. Because if they look like professionals, they'll catch them much quicker. Uh, and that's, that's our introduction to Eric Killmonger, the other big villain, obviously. This is kind of the central antagonist, I suppose you call him, rather than a villain, right? Because his motivation is fantastic they've set this character up you mentioned earlier on chris that there's a lot of criticism in the past of villains in the mcu and how one-dimensional they are this is a proper three-dimensional villain right yeah he is excellent here i mean you go from wondering what he's doing with claw he then kills claw as well and his girlfriend and his girlfriend you know he's you see that ruthlessness um and and you get that described by everett ross you know he's He's been in, you know, special uh, military units that take down governments and so on. Yeah. Um, but for me, he really made me think. Um, you know, this character made you think and he, he made you go on a journey of supporting him. You know, when he goes to claim the, the throne, the past secrets with his father and, and you know, T'Challa's uncle and what happened with Chichaka, uh, and they all come out and you, you see... Also, the the little boy playing uh, basketball, going up to find his his, his father murdered, uh, and you see his motivation. And I was I was actually with him, but then, you know, he's the antagonist because it's what he does with that power, what he's looking to achieve, and it's to spread chaos and conflict. And, and then you know, you suddenly kind of you, you're back up with um, T'Challa wanting to take him down. So, yeah. like, it was a really good um, ride of sort of having sympathy with him and then wanting him to be sort of taken out of the way. I mean, he was absolutely uncompromising. You know, you see him burning the heart flowers. His motivation is pure anarchy. But you also do get a sense of a justification of of what he's doing. You know, Hmm. it's to right so many years of wrong that he sees from his time uh, living outside of Wakanda. I think that final scene with T'Challa where he effectively gives up any notion that he wants to be saved by T'Challa despite the offer from him. That he would prefer to die in that moment as what he sees as a free man exactly not be a slave or not be not be trapped in yeah prison. exactly uh, and i i thought you know it's a character that absolutely had fantastically sort of layered uh, motivations and really made you think about uh where he was coming from even where it felt anarchic and aggressive um and i thought that was really good yeah chris eric killmonger is now up there in my top two MCU villains of all mm-hmm. time. Definitely. 
I find that I do struggle calling him a villain, though. I, I, I exactly. Keep, in my head, I keep going antagonist because he's antagonizing our hero. But it, yeah, the villain part I find difficult, and that's and that's the best part about the character for me, I suppose. Exactly. Think about this, right? There is an element of revenge for the death of a loved one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that has been done with Zemo. Yeah, yeah. They took a similar thread. Which is, okay, someone very close to you, one of your loved ones has been killed by the protagonist's mm-hmm. lineage or connections, and that has caused you to go on a path for revenge. Yeah. So, that's with Zemo in Civil War, we got that, but it just wasn't expanded enough. It wasn't given the breath that you wanted or you needed in order to really show why the character has done each of the things that he's doing. Mm-hmm. I feel with Killmonger they did. They they showed the death, but then they showed the death from his perspective. Yep. When he takes the heart-shaped flower and is sent to the spirit realm or that hallucination where he sees his father, you see him as the child, but then you actually see him, you see, again, and this kind of comes down to Michael B. Jordan's acting, kind of pedigree here Mm -hmm. like you see this innocence like this this hurt the 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 tears where he's talking to his father his ancestor and talking the the dad's talking about i wanted to bring you there blah 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 that type of thing you see that and then you can understand why this little boy then all he wanted to do was train to become a the, the the best warrior he could become so he could challenge the the, the current lineage which would be T'Chaka, T'Challa, T'Challa and mm-hmm. show that he was worthy of being a Wakanda and not Absolutely. being left in Oakland. Well that's kind of Definitely. The, that's kind of the cool thing about this movie that effectively it's not just about them killing his father, it's also about the fact that he's been thrown out of heaven. Um he is he does have the right as a Wakandan to go back to Wakanda. We've seen it now in this movie, and it's beautiful. It's the best representation of heaven that I've seen on film um, by the Marvel Cinematic Universe anyway. Um, so the whole concept is not only did he lose his father in that moment, but he lost his opportunity to get back into heaven, live in this civilized society, live in this futuristic society, because they didn't know he was alive at the time. Um, so he is trying to make his way back on that stairway back to heaven, but he's taking a very violent route. Yeah, and but also on on the the spiritual plane where he you know he he gets buried and then comes up to see his father. But there is that moment towards the end where his his father starts to cry because of, and I took it as the uncompromising nature of what Eric wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Like it goes from in this father son conversation and, and about um, their hopes, their dreams, getting back into Wakanda to then for various reasons, you know, Killmonger is about taking it back. It, it, it's changing up the Wakanda that his father remembers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you get that sense that, you know, does his father kind of go, what have I done? What have I created? Uh, just from that slight tear. And yeah. I think that, uh, rolling down his face. I thought it was really, really good. Um, yeah, I, and I loved that spiritual plane. I loved when Chadwick Boseman comes out of the sand to see all the panthers in the, the tree. I thought that was really, really good. And I mean, that's very connect, connected in with the, the sand people of the Kalahari. They right. believe in, in, in that as well. Uh, that idea of being returned to the earth and, and going to that spiritual plane. And I thought... It was 
beautifully done um, and really that nod to uh, different societies that have that that view of that relationship between man and the earth mm-hmm. and their environment. I thought it was really, really cool. Yeah. The, the one bit I really liked, and I'm going to kind of wrap up Killmonger because we've got so <laughs> many other people to talk about. Uh, more importantly, I want to talk about Sir Shuri. But um, one of the things I really liked about Killmonger was his oh, his methods are wrong, but the philosophy behind what he wants to do can be questioned in yeah. a good way. In that yeah, he wants to arm, he wants to give the, the, the high-tech weapons to the war dogs in order to arm the resistance around the world so that they are no longer on the underfoot. They're no longer the oppressed. Yeah. And you could argue that is a good thing. Mm-hmm. You want to help resistance overthrow these disgusting governments, yada, yada, yada. That's why I really enjoyed this character. Yeah. In that, yeah. actually, when you sit down and you go, actually, that's not a bad idea. Like, if you gave the, the underdog the same powers as potentially the, the top dog, then it's an equal footing. Everyone's on the same plane. And that's the big difference, isn't it? That's yeah. that's where the decision is made at the end of the film because the the only difference between Killmonger's plan and T'Challa's end decision is that the only thing that Killmonger wanted to do was give weapons to arm the war dogs and arm the underdogs around the world, whereas what T'Challa decides to do is share the technology, the education, and use what Wakanda has built over millennia uh, of having the vibranium and having all of the work that they've done with it he decides to share that with the world work with them to use it right rather than just giving someone a gun and saying shoot the person that's wronged you absolutely and i i think this is where you know the black panther and killmonger just for me were their stories and how i was in that moment feeling about them in terms of you know positive or negative were were these all kind of intersected you know there was that moment where i was all for killmonger i i felt that t'challa it was like this power grab they wanted to retain the throne certainly in in terms of with his mother and shuri and this idea that you know they were kind of the rightful heirs and i i really um enjoyed how the different perspectives between these characters um, shifted as you went through the movie mm-hmm. um, in, in terms of whether you agreed with them, disagreed with them, sympathised with their motivations or, or, or not. I thought that was, for me, one of the best aspects of this movie yeah. um, and, and one of the best aspects of a Marvel movie, to be honest. Yeah, yeah true. Uh, just one of the other villains that we have in this movie, I'm, I'm calling him a villain, probably because he's the one that underpins why Killmonger's ideal is something that you can identify with. That's Wakabi, who's the leader of the Border Tribe, played by Daniel Kalua. He's the husband of Akoya, who's uh, played by Danai Guerrero, um, the leader of the Dora Malaji. Um, 
quite interesting. I didn't catch that uh, when I was looking at the movie. I didn't catch that it was her husband. But that's a really interesting one that not only is he supposed to be protecting the borders, but he has been convinced by Killmonger, who brings the body of Claw to him, which is all he's looking for. He didn't get that from T'Chaka. He didn't get that from T'Challa. So he now has a new leader who's willing to do the things that Wakabi would do if he was out there, if he had left um, Wakanda. But he's not only challenging the king, he's also challenging his wife. And you've seen Denagara in this movie. I wouldn't challenge her on anything. If she told me that the sky was was red, I would say, yes, it is. Of course it is. Um, so fair deuce to him for standing up to her. But I do think his underpinning does make him a bit of a villain in the movie. He does turn around by the end. But the fact that he goes along with Killmonger does make him a bit of a villain in the movie. A yeah. Co- a complex it's, character. It, it's, it's, yeah. It, again, it's more about... It, it's the political shift. It, it's kind of the idea that, you know, to begin with, none of the other tribes except for the Mountain Tribe uh, were willing to put up a challenger. They were happy to, in, a, in an extent to, mm-hmm. to have that status quo. Um, and then uh, he thinks that things are going to change, presumably, from T'Chaka's to now T'Challa's rule. He sees that they don't. You know, he we hear that his parents were the ones that were killed by um, Claw when he came in uh, and stole Vibranium and mm-hmm. made his incursion into Wakanda. Um, and he has his his knight in shining armor that brings back that body, the thing that he's been looking for. And he, it's it's a shift in political allegiance, uh, and that changes it. And it's the great thing about it is it's all within this tradition that's been built and been shown in this movie as well. Yeah. So in that sense, is he a villain? I'm not entirely sure, but certainly he's in line with... Uh, with Killmonger exactly. until his wife's there with a massive pointy thing uh, <laughs> stuck at him and he kind of realises that his tribe's a bit knackered <laughs> and he's got armour-plated rhinos as well that's true yeah very cool very cool um, shall we go on to the supporting characters as, as you say Chris we've got a lot to go in on this movie it was kind of a bit difficult for this movie to actually just split it out into the heroes and villains and supporting characters because of all of the Marvel movies so far, I really feel this is an ensemble. Um, more more similar to The Avengers as opposed to um, to a standalone film like Doctor Strange, for example. Because I think the characters are drawn really well. So let's get into some of the supporting characters. Uh, obviously, Wakabi was a supporting character, but he fits a little bit into the villain mold. Um, some of our main heroes in the movie that we have here, we have Nakia, um, who's a Wakandan spy who has seen the outside world, uh, played by Lapita Nyong'o. And this is effectively T'Challa's love interest, but she has so much more going on. Um, we talked about in, in our Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 review about some of the women in that movie feeling like all they were really there for was to be the love interest of some of the major characters. That's not what Nakia feels like here. She feels like she's another perspective on Wakanda because she's a spy, not a fighter. Not not everybody there is a fighter. She feels like a different character, and that's what I really liked about about her in the role. Yeah, do you know? I I think actually, just as a general aspect to the to this point, I thought that the women were so strong, mm-hmm. um, and as an equal to T'Challa, they really challenged him. They really went up against him if they thought what he was doing was, you know, crazy, wrong or whatever, or, or try to, you know, guide him. I really, really enjoyed Nakia uh, as this spy um, rather than a fighter. You know, again, really just trying to, that this influence of Wakanda and this secretive influence of, of Wakanda um, in in the wider world. And I loved how it kind of came back 
at the end where it's you know you can't any longer be be secretive and like she's got to find this new role in mm-hmm. in, in this society so that um, and and how it's going to outwardly project itself to the rest of the world so i really enjoyed um this change with nakia as well but it felt real her relationship with t'challa as well i mean you know we got the the kiss uh, um at, at the end um but you know was she an ex she was an ex wasn't she there was such? yeah there's definitely been some history between the two of them i, mean, I think they it feels like there's been an attraction and they may never have actually gone out with each other in the past but they the joking from Shuri about, you know, don't freeze up T'Challa when she's around like you always do. It feels like he's never had the um, strength to ask her out or the courage to ask her out in the past, which you'd think coming from the Black Panther T'Challa, future king, um, not having the ability to ask out a girl seems like a bit of a, a bit of a joke from Shuri where she's niggling at him, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I think I think there's a history there. But I suppose what I loved about it, as you say, we do get the kiss at the end of the film, but it didn't feel like from the start of the film it was being built to a kiss at the end. Not it at all. Like there was so much more going on with the character and that they are equals and that's why he wants to go out with her it doesn't feel like he wants to go out with her because well she's the likely person to be my queen you know which it could have easily been in in the hands of a even a different marvel production that's how some of the women have been handled in the past my personal opinion is that this is the only marvel film that could have done this okay in such a way that it wasn't didn't feel trite it just didn't feel forced. It is a cultural phenomenon that is happening with this film. Does it help that the film is fantastic? Yes. Okay. But there is a cultural element to this where it's, it's celebrating the African uh, culture. It's celebrating from the soundtrack to the art form to the Absolutely. cinematography to the, uh, the actual accents to the language. It provides a completely different reality in terms of how you view the movie. It goes beyond the reality of Wakanda as a fictional place, but in terms of a story being told with a different reality, which is with Africa um, and Africans at the center. And as you say, Chris, completely agree. Like the in terms of the aesthetic, the the music. Um, the colours, you know, the fact that this was almost exclusively set within Wakanda, with the exception of maybe South Korea. Um, and I, I completely agree with you, absolutely. Um, but not only that, but also in terms of these female characters um, connected in with that as well. It's just they are absolutely independent uh, and strong. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for me, what I feel coming out of Black Panther that I didn't think I was going to when I went in, I felt it was going to be a statement movie. What I actually felt when I finished the movie was this is just an aspirational film and everybody should aspire to treat everybody equally. That's what it feel, felt like it was about. I came out of it pumping the air going, this really feels like we should as a society get together and work together and work stronger and harder to make sure everybody gets the same opportunities in life that all of these characters seem to completely agree with. It's quite interesting. The prelude comic for Black Panther um, is set 10 years before uh, this movie it's effectively saying that T'Challa has been the Black Panther for his father's king for 10 years from the moment that Iron Man came out and his first mission is with Okoye um, the, the leader of the uh, Dora Malaji 
it's quite cool having the two of them starting out around the same time, working on a mission together. And effectively, that's what builds his relationship with all of the women around him in his life is the fact that she is the strongest and most powerful warrior. And it's called out in the movie. There's Black Panther who takes a flower to get the power to fight against anything that's thrown at him. And it's not him that's called the greatest warrior. It's Akoya. That's cool. And I, I love this about this film. The, the the strength of the female leads, the strength of the female characters themselves. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. It's like the the strongest warriors in all of Wakanda are the Dora Maji. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. a female-led king's honor guard. They are yeah. the best of the best. And then you do have Wakabis, who are the, the, the one of the armies, the, the kind mm-hmm. of the, the, the protector, border patrol. Okay? Yeah. They are not the best of the best. And again, I, I completely agree. I did not come out of this going, this was a statement movie, blah, blah. This is just a fantastic movie. But it weaves these female lead characters. It doesn't feel forced. And I think that's the aspect I'm trying to get. They don't mm-hmm. go, look, these are, this is the, the queen and look how great she is. And look at, look at Shuri. She's so intelligent. They, they don't, they didn't make her the arrogant, intelligent person who knows she's the most intelligent person in the world in that room. They made her this comical, lovable, kind of approachable character mm-hmm. who was fantastic. Who's the kid's yeah. sister, but she also is like 20 times smarter than anyone else in that room. Or the Marvel Cinematic Universe, probably. Or the Marvel Cinematic... I, I want, as you said, I want to see that Peter and Tony Sherry meetup. That's going to be such a like a battle of the wits, but also the brains. Well, we know we do know in the in the next Avengers movie we are at least going to see Bruce Banner in Wakanda. So he's also a very intelligent member of the MCU. So really cool to see that. One thing I do hate about the film, I will say, is Denai Guerrera in the role of Akoya because she's so good. It makes me want to see them kill her off in in The Walking Dead as Michonne, so she can go and do some great movies like this. That's yeah. one thing I hate about the movie. Why make her so bloody good so she'll go and leave The Walking Dead and make great movies? The thing I loved about Akoya as well is it is that moment where she um, goes to protect the throne. You know, you have T'Challa, you have his sister Shuri and, and the mother um, racing off um, to in, in, into exile, in effect. Um that they don't know what's going to happen to them. They, they, in their own minds, I presume they think that they will be killed by Killmonger mm-hmm. um, because of this political coup that's just happened. And I, I think that moment where Akoya, you kind of would expect her to stay loyal to the king, but it's not. It's to the throne. It's to the throne of Wakanda, and yeah. that's where the the Dora Milaje's uh, loyalties and allegiance lies. Is in the throne, uh, the concept of it, uh, and in terms of the traditions around it, and the very fact that Eric Killmonger has simply been successful in challenging the king. The only thing I thought that was slightly kind of strange was that so soon after the challenge had already come in from the Mountain Tribe that they were allowed to do it again. I think it's because uh, Killmonger didn't get the opportunity to do it, and he is a rightful heir to the throne. So because he wasn't there at the time and has the opportunity to challenge, the society seems like it's it has its fairness. It's not oh you were sick that day, therefore you didn't get the chance to challenge. You know, it seems like they'll give you the opportunity if you're a rightful heir, which is really important. Speaking of Umbaku, Mm -hmm. 
I really want to bring in how tastefully and amazing crafted that character was mm-hmm. in comparison to what his comic book counterpart is. Yeah. So for our, some of our listeners, Mbaku, he's the leader of the White Gorilla tribe. He's in the comic books called Mane. Yeah. Yeah. He's a lot bigger. He's, he, he has a, a lot of history around him. He's basically the dumb, hulking antagonist like that is for the Black Panther. He's yeah. the, he's ten times stronger than the Black Panther because he's been, he has his own version of like the heart shaped herb that makes him extra strong. Yada, 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 yada. They could have gone something quite silly yes. and made him that kind of man ape. They did reference it with the moment where uh, Eric K. Ross is trying to speak mm-hmm. to Mbaku and they go, oh, oh, oh. And they just, all of them do that kind of gorilla kind of grunting and just to shut him up. Yeah, yeah. And I thought like, they did that later on as well. So they referenced that the man ape persona, mm-hmm. this is his war call, this shuts, he uses it, the gorilla call to shut the people up. And, but then they actually turned this Mbaku into, they took him and they, at the challenge at the beginning, I was like, okay, maybe he's just going to, he's, that is his titular part in the story. Mm-hmm. He was the challenger, he yielded, and that's it. Yeah. But they brought him in later, and they showed him as this kind of complex leader of his tribe. Yeah. Where he's like, I'm not going to go to war with the other king just because of you. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I am indebted to you because you showed mercy. You didn't kill me. Right. But there was a, I, I thought that was just re- it was a really clever use of the character. Yeah. You could have easily just leaned into... The, the comic book version of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know what I mean? Yeah, what, I, what I do like about Mbaku is the fact that um, that it effectively, again, is saying it's a just society. It's saying that he did challenge him, he lost the challenge, but he'll still stand up for his for his king. He'll still ta- stand up and stand alongside T'Challa when he realizes that his king is still alive. Um, that makes, that, that just, again, rounds out the society and making sure that we know that they they have their challenges, but once a challenge is won, then everybody will follow the rightful decision once it's finished. Yeah, uh, like I, I thought that was really good. One of the other things as well um, with regards to Shuri's, um, the communication devices that they had mm-hmm. and the that moment where they're tracking kind of an incursion into Wakanda uh, that uh, has stolen, or sorry, kidnapped, I should say, uh, members of the border tribe mm-hmm. um, and the Black Panther's off to, to stop them from escaping. Uh, and you see the, the vehicles... It, it, in the transport it reminded me of man of steel in terms of all those beads coming together to to form different things i I thought it was real similar i kind of like the the aesthetic of it yeah and that's also how the story of how the black panthers got their power came at the beginning yeah it felt exactly like that where it's kind of being formed out of those it's almost like little lead shots but i suppose they're uh vibranium yeah, most likely, most likely. Lots and lots of supporting characters. Just quickly to touch on Ever K. Ross being back from Captain America Civil War. I think he provides a very good through line in this movie because, again, we're being introduced to Wakanda through the eyes of characters we haven't really met before. So to have a character that we have seen being so wide-eyed and freaked out by the whole society of Wakanda the way it is, uh, he believes he's very worldly, he believes he knows what's going on everywhere in the world because of his job, and he never knew Wakanda existed. I kind of like having that. And I also like that he played a part in the final battle as well. I thought that was quite important to have if you have the character running through the film, that he's not just the damsel in, the stra- in distress, for want of a better word. He does play a part in the end of the film. 
uh, as well. Uh, also, obviously, Forrest Whitaker, yeah, I have to say, after his role in Rogue One, which I thought was so badly overplayed, it's nice to see him in a geeky movie doing a great job as the witch doctor who was saved by uh, by T'Chaka. Uh, I think he did a really good job, and I think it's quite a, a powerful moment when he's when he's murdered as well. Definitely, like it was good to see. You know, he he's the other guy that's been sent with uh, Killmonger's uh, father, mm-hmm. uh, and has played his part in keeping T'Chaka's uh, decision and secret uh, under wraps. Uh, you know, you get that moment where it's exposed and it's exposed to T'Challa who has to rethink. Uh, and again, you get that second meeting with his with his father in the spiritual plane once he's taken uh, on the heart flower and been buried this time within the snow up at the um, White Gorilla Tribe's uh, mountain village and seat of power. Really, really enjoyed that. Just sort of that difference that has come from this this new information and and that obviously Forrest Whisker dying at the hands of uh, Eric uh, after the challenge and and maybe is the reason why T'Challa ultimately was saved because Eric had his focus on on Zuri uh, as being the person that really betrayed his father. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Chris, do you want to talk about Shuri? Because we didn't really talk about her a huge amount. Is there anything else you want to say about the character? No, yeah, we, we barely talked about the character at all. Um, I, I just really enjoyed the actual the joke about the Black to the, Back to the Future shoes. Mm-hmm. She said, "Oh, I saw this film and it inspired me, and I'm going to call them sneakers. Mm. Get it? <laughs> Sneak like it's just th- there's an element uh, where she introduces you to a lot of also the technology that we see in Wakanda, mm-hmm. and I, I could you could even put." The technology as a supporting character. Oh, yeah. We see the fantastic use of these AI drones. It like vibranium kind of just bubbles up into the seat of whatever. So uh, ever K. Ross uses it as the kind of to fly the, the, ship. the end, yeah. flying the ship. Yeah. She uses it to. Sarah uses it to drive the car. Yeah. Yeah. I just I thought it was overall fantastic. Yeah. So I really I just really enjoyed the use. The one thing. Um. So f- some of our listeners who are new to Black Panther um, and don't know a lot of his history, there was one bit I was waiting for. So in the comic books, there is a, an arc where Shuri becomes the Black Panther. Mm-hmm. T'Challa basically abdicates the throne. She becomes queen. Uh, he She takes over the, the mantle. She takes the heart-shaped flower mm-hmm. and she becomes uh, imbued. There was an a nanosecond where I thought that she was going to don some form of armor herself right. towards the end battle. And I was like, that would be cool. Yep. That would be really cool. But instead she gets the awesome Panther gauntlet, the most powerful looking yes. weapon we've seen in the yeah. MCU. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. It looks, it looks like it's up there with the, with the guns and guardians of the galaxy. Like it's uh, it's pretty cool. Oh, it's amazing. The, the, the question I, the, it, this straight away brought to my mind was though, we ha- we always have this question of what will happen five years down in the future mm-hmm. when Chadwick Boseman doesn't want to be the Black Panther. Well, give it to give it to Shuri. Absolutely. Yeah. There there you go. Oh, yeah. That's the easy one. Yeah. Like what happens when Iron Man doesn't want to be? They bring in Riri Williams. Yeah. What what happens when Chris Evans doesn't want to be Captain America? 
Well, you just give it to the Winter Soldier. Yeah. There you go. Like, the, there's all these great... Or Falcon. Pieces. Of course. Or Falcon. <laughs> I don't know. Or, or, hey, you could just give it to uh, America Chavez. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. There's all these fantastic elements of it. And I just, that's one of the things I was... You see that this character is not afraid of battle. Yeah. Which is really yeah. Interesting. yeah. Speaking of battle... Uh, our fourth point is the middle middle battle of the movie. Uh, I'm not the only one that noticed this. I'm sure you guys were exactly the same. Didn't this feel like something out of Casino Royale or something out of a Bond movie uh, as they're standing in the casino in, in uh, Korea? Um, what an awesome battle. I have to call out the camera work in this uh, in this scene as it's following the punches and uh, and fighting going on throughout in almost a one-take shot, almost like something that we'd see in Daredevil, um, where we kick off with, as it's being called, Wig Fu from uh, Okoya, as she throws her wig into the face of one of, the, one of her attackers and then hits the other one with her extendable uh, spear. It's just so cool. Um, and a great, a great kick-off as, uh, as Claw is, is being attacked by Panther and his, uh, and his friends. Yeah, the whole feel of this really was Bond. And, you know, you had the car chase there, which I just thought was awesome and again uh, Shuri's sort of remotely controlled car mm. I, I love that idea you know effectively she's you know you're going okay she's safe uh, you wondered what was going to happen with with Claw as well and he ends up getting taken by the CIA ultimately yeah. uh, and this is where you get uh, T'Challa's failure to bring him back because of the escape then uh, but at the hands of Eric Killmonger but yeah, the, the, the car chase I just thought was awesome. And so, as you said earlier, Chris, uh, you really see uh, the Black Panther suit here in, in use uh, and him being really acrobatic, really flowing in terms of him being on top of the the car waiting to pounce. I love that, just seeing the bullets hitting his suit and mm-hmm. it's it sort of that purple spreading throughout the, the suit as it charges up with the kinetic energy absolutely uh, really really cool and as i say his his cue is uh is shuri in the background going so you may have noticed that your suit is charging up as you get hit by, hit by bullets <laughs> yeah. that's an extra feature i've added you know it's, it's quite cool what a great extra to add if someone's going to get shot at many times to uh, to make sure that the suit gets even more powerful it's almost like the whole getting the more angry it gets the more powerful he gets you know the more you shoot at me the stronger i get quite cool yeah. and i think the casino part as well just awesome in terms of that that sort of tension where when claw comes into the room Mm -hmm. and everett ross dealing with him and just with t'challa nakia and akoya seeing this nemesis of of wakandan nation you know Mm -hmm. i really really enjoyed that and of course we do get the cameo as well here yes i loved it i loved (laughs) it so much it was just such an easy, I'm going to take these chips and I'm, I'm just going to keep them over here. Keep <laughs> yeah. It was just, it was, what, 45 seconds of a cameo of our good old Celsius-led Stan Lee. Yes. Um, I was so happy. I'm also quite sad because I think he we we have one more pre-filmed cameo. Yeah. Um, that Because uh, for our listeners, uh, Stan Lee did about six back-to-back filming uh, cameos for these films. Now he's only done those six, so so he's kind of back to back them. And unfortunately, our Celsior led Matt creator was in hospital recently. He is ninety three years old. Mm-hmm. So how many more will we get? I'm hoping he is well enough very soon to do at least another six more. 
So we have him for years to come. But yeah. it was a nice, quick cameo. Definitely. I was scared for a second how they were going to use him. At like a certain point, like I was like, is he going to be like the security guard? He's the bumbling security guard where Killmonger's in London. Mm-hmm. I was expecting something like that or... I don't know. But to that point, I'm like, where is he going to be? Yeah. But it's it's funny that he always has a gaggle of young women around him. Look at Guardians of Galaxy 1. Mm-hmm. He's a bit of a Hugh Hefner here in the MCU. He's played Hugh Hefner of the, of the MCU in one of the uh, in one of his um, cameos back in Iron Man yeah. 2, I think it was, uh, yeah. when he played Hugh Hefner. So, yeah. Yes, and of course, there's his Deadpool outing. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, let's not forget that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anything else on the Korean battle overall, Chris? I, I loved the, the, the South Korea chase. I, I thought, as you said, it had a huge twang of James Bond to it, mm-hmm. of Casino Royale. I could have used a bit more fighting in the actual casino part, uh, but to be fair, they destroyed most of it. When Killmonger shoots Black Panther, uh, and you literally see him fly through the balcony, down onto the ground, yeah. and smash the tables. I'm like, oh, well, yeah, okay. Uh, two super-powered individuals, probably not a good idea to have them indoors. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I enjoyed that. I much preferred the chase. I loved this Shuri and T'Challa in one, and you see how happy Shuri gets when she goes, oh, my God, I get to do this. Absolutely, and yeah. she just runs and jumps. <laughs> um, and I loved that. But then, again... This is one of the reasons I really enjoyed Ryan Coogler for being a director and one of the writers on this, is that no matter how serious, this is a serious thing, this is a car chase, this is where you're going after one of your biggest villains, uh, or what we consider one of the biggest villains in this up to this point, mm-hmm. we get the where he shoots the car which has Nakia and Okoya in it, yeah. and then it just disintegrates yeah, and you just have the two of them just yeah. kind of <laughs> yeah. slow skid stop. The key is still holding the steering wheel. Yeah, that's yeah. a funny moment. Absolutely, I, I I think actually that level of humor was really nicely woven through this. Like whether it was that moment, yeah, as you say, where they both come to rest on in very different ways. You know, Akoya is cool with her spear poised on one of the car doors and uh, Nakia is there still strapped into her, her seat mm-hmm. um, sort of sliding to the end. But also like with Shuri and with T'Challa, that kind of brother-sister interaction, I thought it was really nicely done, the humour in this, without detracting from uh, the more serious elements. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm going to just check it out that I would say it was better done than uh, Thor Ragnarok. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think we, we went through a year of uh, Marvel comedy movies, and I think we're starting our year of probably more, much more serious films from Marvel. Um, there's a weight to this film, but that doesn't mean you can't have a few laughs. Absolutely. Which I, is, which I think is right, whereas something like Thor Ragnarok felt like there's a film in here somewhere, but we'll throw a few jokes on top of it and people will laugh and have a good time in the cinema. So I'm much happier with the hands that are on this film guiding the humour and guiding the serious elements because it does feel like they're doing something important for MCU. Exactly. Where, the, where those lighter touches just came in were just nicely done, I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like even, for example, where Shuri and T'Challa see each other again for the first time when she, just before she shows him. Yeah, they do that kind of real brother-sister kind of fist bump shake. And it's just like, it's it's their version of 
the way that Doramaji kind of uh, and everyone bows and mm-hmm. to the king, they're brother sister, so they have their own version of it. Yeah. Or even as well, just where, you know, she's wanting to be in her slacks and t-shirt and dressed down, uh, for the, the crowning ceremony. And I, I thought that was just a nice little touch, you know, um, as well. Just yeah. kind of nice and light, you know. And for our American uh, fellow defenders, uh, slacks mean trousers or jeans. Trousers or jeans. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, true. Anyway, to get back to Korea. Mm-hmm. I actually enjoyed how this ended. The way they capture him, the way that they end up in yep. the interrogation unit. I, I I was pretty sure I had seen all of that interrogation scene from the trailers. Yeah. And um, for the number of trailers we had seen. No, there was this fantastic there yes. was more yep. a lot more to it. Uh, like we get why or however it ends up where he does. We get then the conversation between the actors in Wakandan uh, in their own language. Thank God it was subtitled. That is a question I was going to ask, Chris. Yeah, we saw this um, in our local cinema, which uh, subtitled the film in French and German subtitles. Uh, no English subtitles at all throughout the film. Um, and we were wondering, because there was that whole conversation between uh, Akoya and, uh, and T'Challa, as to whether there was subtitles in English for that. There was subtitles, was there? There was. So one of our uh, listeners hopefully might be able to answer this. Is the Did they create this language uh, mm-hmm. for Wakandan? And then just subtitled in English because yes, it was right. subtitled in English for us. Or is it actually like a form of Swahili that they've just appropriated and made it kind of? They've said that the right. Wakandan speak right. Swahili, for example. Uh, I'd be really interested to know that. I I, I don't know, but yes, uh, a lot of the time when they are speaking mm-hmm. in Wakandan, if we'll call it for that for now. There is these English subtitles for us. Very good, very good. Um, I just have to learn German or French, I think. Or Wakandan, sure, why not? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting scene where we do get we thought that was it, that's the end. No, this is how we're gonna transition you into this uh, back to Wakanda. Yeah. And it was great. And then speaking of so if they bring us back to Wakanda, we might as well bring ourselves on to point five because I want to actually start talking about this T'Challa being challenged by Killmonger the final battle the and then how how things are wrapped yeah. up so guys what do we think like T'Challa has been challenged he what do you think did you were you ever in peril or did you ever feel any peril for our titular hero uh, as he was kicked off the waterfall it's funny, I never thought he was going to die, obviously, yeah. but I did really like the way that, actually, T'Challa, you know, he got cut, he got punched, he got taken down, at least by Killmonger, but even when you go to um, Mabaku as well, as as the leader of the Mountain Tribe, um, he's got some shots in, uh, in that original challenge as well. Mm-hmm. I, I actually did get that sense that having the Black Panther power drained away from him made him more fallible, uh, made him more vulnerable. Um, even though I didn't necessarily think, obviously, that they were going to uh, get rid of the Black Panther, okay. um, because we've seen him in Infinity War trailers. But 
Certainly, well, we've seen someone in the suit in the Infinity War. Well, that is yeah. true. It could be anyone. <laughs> but it's never going to get rid of the Black Panther because no, that's just a title that can. That is around. true. That is true. Um, my bad. My bad. <laughs> but I definitely, um, I did get that sense that he was more vulnerable. Uh, but I w- didn't expect that he was um, necessarily going to die. Although when he did sort of plunge into the ravine, I was like. Okay, how are we going to get to back to him? And I, I like that it was back up in in the mountains with um, Mabaku, um, who you know that they have saved um, this king. You, you know, you get the sense from the original opening that they talk about the five tribes, and one of them goes off in, in a sort of a huff up into the mountains, and you yeah. you kind of are thinking, okay, are these going to be the the big antagonists mm-hmm. that that come in with with uh, Eric Killmonger. And it doesn't uh, even take them off the table that that could happen in future. It just I do like how they how they deal with the characters. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, so I didn't think he was going to die, but I did like how they made um him more vulnerable uh, after he got the the Black Panther extract out of him. Um I love that that's how he has to prove that he's the right king. He can't prove that he's the king by fighting as Black Panther. It's almost that idea from um from Spider-Man Homecoming where Tony Stark's talking to uh, Peter and takes away the suit from him and Peter yeah. says to him well I'm nothing without the suit and, and Tony says to him well if that's true well then you're nothing um, it can't be that way or else you can't be a hero and that's effectively what they're doing with the Black Panther here they're taking away his power so that he can prove he's the rightful heir Definitely. to the throne of Wakanda which I loved as an idea I also thought it was very very smart it took a couple of minutes of discussion after we watched the movie I thought it was very smartly written about the idea that in order to win the challenge you have to either give up or die. It's one or the other. There are no other options here. So taking T'Challa and throwing him off the side of a, a waterfall and assuming he's dead, well, sorry, that means you don't get the throne because you have to eat, have to have a confirmation. Either he gives you the throne or you die. Confirm kill. Exactly. And you would think that, um, yeah, Eric Killmonger, as sort of a specialist operative, would have to know about the confirm kill. He Absolutely. should have been sending people out to confirm it. And also, or double tap, as they it say. was uber marble ab time as well yeah it was like an ab central mm-hmm. uh, going on here between um michael b jordan along with i loved the i, I loved that that each one of his um the pattern on his skin uh, was a kill uh, and that's a traditional form of um it's not tattooing it, it but it is scarification kinda, it, yeah scarification um you know that that is um a traditional form of, of art in different tribes uh in, in africa i love that they kept that uh, but man is he well built <laughs> well he has done he has done creed you know he has been a boxer he's got that kind of build better what i did like about uh, that that moment is that we get told that he has a mark for every kill and we get that early on and we see a little bit we see about four or five of them and then when the shirt comes off you're like that's thousands of people that this man has murdered and killed to get to where he is now yeah but if we look at it this is a thing from um wakanda wakabi has those scars around his eyes so it it is a wakandan uh tradition if you will tradition um and i just again i you said, Derek, though, like that, that second where you're like, oh, he has a few here or there. And then you see as he takes off um, the, the overall, when he takes off his shirt, getting ready for the challenge. I was just like, damn, I know we've seen that already, but that's cool. Now we actually know the backstory behind it. Exactly. But we don't know whether Wakabi's uh, one scarification are 
for kills. Well, we would assume if that's the the kind of they're the same types of lines. I, well, I made that assumption that they're the yeah. same yeah. types of lines. But it's an art. It, it's a it's an artwork in in terms of that. It doesn't necessarily. It's just that for Killmonger. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, fair point. How he does it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it could be as well. I mean, I don't know. I'm just kind of throwing out there. It might. It's also for decoration and, and body art in the same way as yeah. tattooing. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or maybe it's the number of rhinos real. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. Perhaps. Okay, and quickly, two quick Easter eggs. One, a lot of the story arc from this with Killmonger and the, 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 the basic film story for this is come from a framework of the Panther's Rage story arc, which were the jungle action comics, which has introduced Black Panther, which was Don McGregor, Jill Kane, and Klaus Janssen. Right, right, very good. It, it even has that whole part where we see T'Challa from the waterfall, and mm. um, we see Killmonger come to uh, Wakanda and everything. Right, right. Um, so that's a re- I, I really enjoyed that one. I will also put this out here, because we're going to get to it in a bit, like, hot split second. The Black Panther in Panther's Rage story arc in Jungle Action comics does wrestle a rhino. Very good. And it's exact. It's literally panel for panel <laughs> from the, the 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 action of the film. So I was just like, yeah, this is good. Excellent. I'm I'm enjoying that they put the, a lot of these nice little pieces in there as uh-huh. well. The battle, the final battle, does seem really epic, doesn't it? Um, the fact that we've got five tribes in uh, in Wakanda. Um, and we've got Killmonger in here uh, allying himself with one of the tribes. It does really feel like an epic battle. It felt like almost, I think I said after watching it, that it felt like the battle in uh, the Hobbit, uh, Battle of the Five Armies, because there's so much going on with the Dormelagia on one side and then flipping over to the other when they realize T'Challa's back, so they're up against Killmonger, um, with Shuri and uh, and the Queen and Everett Ross uh, taking out the planes that are shipping out the weapons to the uh, to the war dogs. Um, with that battle going on, it feels like there's a lot of battles going on uh, in in this scene for me. I'll agree with you. There was a lot going on. I didn't get the feeling for epic. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't. I just there was like about two hundred people uh-huh. on the the, the battlefield because uh, you just had the Dora Maja, you had Umbaku's team and Wakabi's team. Yeah, uh, those tribes. Like, but it was only small pockets of them. The scale of epic in my head is, like you said, Lord of the Rings, where we get CGI characters of thousands of people right. running and like that battle. I know what you mean in terms of we had a lot of disparate, separate, but connected fights going on. You had Everest down in the, the vibranium lab, uh, kind of stopping the, the, the ships. We have Black Panther first taking on Wakabi's team, then going for, we have that long extended battle against Killmonger, the Golden Jaguar. Mm-hmm. Then we have Nakaya, and Shuri's fight, mm-hmm. and then we have the Dora Magi's fight, then we have the overall melee that is the three people fighting, and then coming to the end. Yeah. But it was just, like, 50 people, 50 people, 50 people. Right. And then some connections. Right. I think, yeah. I think the best, uh, one of the best reviews that I saw of the film, one of the first reviews I saw of the film, actually, uh, made a really good point about this fight, that what is cool about it is, even though there are a lot of things going on you know who everybody is and what side everybody's on and who they're fighting and why they're fighting them uh, you can get that really well because the movie has set up every character really well from the beginning it's it, not just a huge battle where you're pulling in 
um, loads of people that you haven't seen before. Everybody's got a motivation and everybody has a place to be at the right time and it follows them all really well, I think. Absolutely. I, I think for me, the great thing about this final battle is just how personal it is. You, you know, you see one of the Dora Milaje getting their throat slit by um, Killmonger mm-hmm. in, in the suit. You see, you see the chance that Killmonger has and and that he sees and what he wants to take in terms of trying to um, destroy T'Challa's family. You know, he sees that he can take down Shuri, uh, Nakia, and really consolidate his power. But it's also that personal element um, to me, which I thought was was really, really good in, in this final battle. Yeah. And yeah, it, it's more epic in the sense of lots of different things going on. Um, and I, I really enjoyed... Uh, Everett Ross's moment where he does the Black Panther sign uh, in order to rescue his ship as he's tracking down the the other ships. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like uh, bringing him in as a member of a Yeah, yeah that was it's cool. Almost, it's almost I like, like you've joined the tribe now, yeah. This was an ending battle I really enjoyed. I really liked. It was, as you said, we knew who everyone was, what everything, everything was doing. There felt like there was enough tension because you did have the potential of... Um, like the the vehicles leaving Wakanda, mm-hmm. you had you had the Dora Magi dying. Yeah, yeah. Like you, like you had these people dying. Like I did think for a second when we we get the scene between Okoya and Wakabi, I thought they were gonna fight. Yeah, yeah, I did. I actually. thought one of them was gonna like get killed, and I was like, "Oh my god, you're literally setting husband against wife." Mm-hmm. And I thought that was gonna happen for a second. But Wakabi's really smart and knows he yeah. couldn't win that fight. <laughs> exactly. I'm worried now. Black Panther two. Where are they going with this kind of thing? Um, because you've killed two of your greatest villains. They did kind of set up the future villains because of the fact that they are such a, a heavily industrial industrial nation who is now going out into the world to tell the world that um, that they have all of this advanced technology and the setup for the future is well once you've done that then everybody's going to want it so you've now set every criminal in the world with a target on wakanda going to wakanda and getting this technology for themselves so while i don't know a specific future villain that it could be um the whole setup for for black panther 2 is really there it's it's the whole concept of now you've got the world against you if that's the way they want to go but can you imagine if Okoye killed wakabi and then wakabi's people just left with killmonger right right yeah like then you literally have they've just brought in mbaku's team Mm -hmm. into the fold and then you have this other the the tribe that was always part of you that were looked after your borders is now gone yes i thought that would have been interesting which brings me to the longest death breath in the history (laughs) of the cinema Mm -hmm. yeah i now did i enjoy the death breath did i enjoy what was said and how it was said and why yes but (laughs) you can't take that last gasp of air and then last for about, what, 30 minutes? Like, while you're carried to the sunset <laughs> and then say another whole, whole monologue and then die. When you take the last gasp, you're supposed to then kind of... Literally, it's your last gasp. So I was just like, oh, well, okay, maybe... 
something. I thought he was going <laughs> to, rather than the whole drowning at sea, I thought he was going to, like, fall on the spear. Right. Like, and then that's like, okay, well, you're not going to take me. And then he just pushes himself forward. Mm-hmm. And then the spear is literally shoved all the way through or something like that. Yeah. That was cool. Yeah. But when they had the last gasp on the train tracks, well, I'm not letting you away with this one. I love too much else about your film. <laughs> I think it's, an, it's obviously the artistic decision of carrying him so that he can see a good moment in Wakanda, so he can see a moment of the suns, the sunrise in Wakanda. Uh, that's a good choice uh, and a good artistic choice. There's also obviously the fact that T'Challa effectively says he can save him. So he's telling him he's not dead right then. He's saying, I can save you. And Killmonger refuses to be saved. So he's not dead because if he was dead, then there wouldn't have been able to have been an offer from T'Challa to save him. So um, so I do understand that they definitely added on a bit of extra life uh, for him yeah. so that he could have that moment. But it's a nice moment. Again, it's it's a hopeful film. It's an aspirational film. So having a moment where um, you don't have your uh, your hopeful new hero cutting the head off the bad guy or something to kill him. We um, could, you yeah. have a moment in the sun, effect. I mean, we could just say that the Black Panther suit that he was wearing kind of just kept him going for that little bit longer yeah. than was really necessary. <laughs> um, yeah. It was made by Shuri, right? So she, she would have put something in there so that people Must could, have. could have kept uh, T'Challa alive for an extra half an hour, you know? <laughs> I really enjoyed that they, they mentioned the key to the demise the key to the actual epic battle at the end at least 30, 40 minutes before. It wasn't Shuri and the actual the, the hover, the, the hover trains, how they negate vibranium. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's a really interesting thing. Why? Oh, now you're t- now I understand. Like, that is a nice, that was clever. Yes. And I enjoyed that more than yeah. Shuri suddenly screaming at him midway through a battle, going, oh, I'm just going to give you the answer now. Yeah. yeah. No, they set it up a lot in advance. Do you know what's also cool about this movie? Because um, remember things like Superman, you know, in the past where they have eventually got to create something that takes away his powers. You know, they have to create kryptonite to take away his powers. That's the way you have to do it after 30 years of him battling. What I loved in this film is this is only the second appearance we have of Black Panther. Number one, they create uh, a thing that can take away his power instantly if he just drinks it. So um, I'd definitely have a royal taster um, employed in the future in case somebody (laughs) wants to take away your powers and just drop a little bit of this substance into your drink. And secondly, as you say, Chris, they have now shown there there is something already built that can take away the power of vibranium. So Captain America's shield, for example, built up vibranium. Um, you know, potentially we'll be getting a slight change to the Wolverine character if he ever comes back into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where that will also be able to take away the, the vibranium that's on his body. Um, you know, but I yeah. liked that they set up in this film that there are ways to take down the power, and also that T'Challa, even if he doesn't have that power, is warrior enough to be king. Definitely. Yeah, but the, the interesting thing is the heart shaped herb is gone now. It is. Is it? Like. But that's the question. That's the bit I enjoyed. Like, even if they take that away. Do you think there's no other garden in the entire place? <laughs> that's what I would have wanted for a post credit scene. Mm. A, land, a, a fresh bloom coming up. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Something just to go, hey, look, they'll touch on it. Maybe in Infinity Wars, if there's something to do with Archie Herb. Or if it's later on, the actual uh, Black Panther 2. Yeah, yeah. Um, and speaking of... Because I just talked about post-credit scenes, mm-hmm. gentlemen. Should we should we open the actual wrap up of the films and into 
the actual so what happens post this fight and the in these into these scenes yeah i mean i think again as we've mentioned before you know t'challa effectively does the same thing as Killmonger, just the method is different as he opens the gates of, of, of the world to Wakanda. Uh, to begin with, with the outreach program in, in Oakland at the, the place where his father had killed um, his brother and, and had created Killmonger uh, and what that has potentially meant for Wakanda in terms of maybe undermining it uh, as a stable nation because... Mm. Yeah, you know, you you set off a conflict, then people will want to go to the source of that. Uh, what would it have brought on Wakanda? But here we have this soft power that T'Challa is wanting to do. And I think this is a great thing about this character. He has immense power and strength um, as the Black Panther, but he is also the leader of of a nation and a country and he is a politician and and he makes different choices you know for me he has his decisions are kind of slightly better than captain america's in civil war for example not sign up to sokovia like i think t'challa understands that's why he was on team iron man uh go team iron man uh you know i really like how he blends these together and how the writers have blended this together mm, for this character. Yeah. Um, and, and you see that then in the first post credit scene as well, yeah. where he's back at um, the UN I talked about this earlier, but it is that moment where you get the snidey guy, uh, as you said, Chris going, well, what can you do to, to help us? You know, that all those loaded preconceptions and notions about, this country um, in the arrogance of that man. And I thought that was a great way um, of closing this out. Um, it didn't even need to be in the post credit scene. It could have obviously been um, at the end of the film, yeah. but just um, superb. I, I came out of uh, the movie totally uplifted, uh, and certainly part of it was to do with these, these final aspects mm-hmm both with the the death of Killmonger, but then how T'Challa moves it forward to make his own stamp as the leader of Wakanda. And it is called out throughout the film that the rest of the world sees Wakanda as a third world nation. They've never never really visited it because they don't do that in Africa. They leave Africa to deal with Africa. And that's kind of the point here is that with the power and strength that Wakanda have, they're not going to close their borders anymore. They're going to bring it out to the rest of the world, just like the rest of the world should have been doing with Wakanda. If they did feel they were a third world nation, well, why haven't they been helping them for 2000 years? Um, why did they just leave them alone going, oh, you're a third world nation. We're not going to go anywhere near you. Um, it's kind of a, it's a nice little play on that, which I, which I liked. Um, the other thing just to, just to mention, T'Challa wasn't on Tony Stark's side because it was the right side. He was on Tony Stark's side because he thought that Bucky had killed his father. Um, speaking of Bucky, that is, our post credit scene. So very important to know that. Says you. Yes, no, it's true. Because I'm right. Uh, as was Steve Rogers in Captain America. Team Captain, no. all the way. So the second post credit scene brings us back to uh, Bucky, um, our little friend of Captain America who, uh, who was brought to Wakanda by T'Challa. Yeah. What's really important about this scene is the last time we saw Bucky, he was going into stasis because he was very powerful. And those words that were out there to control him were the keys to controlling the Winter Soldier. And he was seen as too dangerous to be in the open. So, 
What's interesting about this scene is that he's outside. He's outdoors. He's got kids all around him. He's lost the arm. Uh, that's gone now. Obviously. I did want to see him have this new arm put on by Shuri. I was really so hoping gonna... they, they were going to do that, but yeah. obviously not just yet. I thought that would have been cool. Oh, absolutely. But I think that's definitely coming. As we as we know, Bucky is there uh, when we at the start of uh, Infinity War, uh, coming up in the next couple of months. But I think what is really important here is, has Shuri found a way to remove those uh, those trigger words for the Winter Soldier. Is that why he's out in the open? Uh, she seems to know him very well. She seems to have spent a lot of time with Bucky. So is this the reason why he's outside? Is this the reason why he's released? Because we have Shuri able to do what nobody else has been able to do and cure the Winter Soldier of uh, the controlling elements that we had in the past. Let's hope, because he did look very relaxed. I must say, he looked like he had been on a good like spa uh, <laughs> total hipster bucket, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. he looked very relaxed. But so quickly, two points on this. Did you see the colors he was wearing? It just looked like hipster garb for me. What were they? <laughs> red, white, and blue. Oh, very good, very good. So he was he was in the red, white, and blue colors. Mm-hmm. So mm, foreshadowing, we, maybe. Yeah. So are we making a prediction here? Maybe, maybe the death of <clears throat> the the other bit. They they were calling him White Wolf. The the children. Oh, um, which I don't think you, you would have got because it was in Wakanda. Um, so the White Wolf is a character from um, from the comic books. And it's basically a, a character who was uh, adopted by T'Chaka and raised with T'Challa. And is given a Black Panther uh, suit. He's given, um, the, he's given some extra enhancements by Shuri and he becomes the head of Chaka's secret police and then uh, becomes a mercenary but is loyal to the, the Wakanda throne yeah, yeah. but is basically in a white panther suit. Ah, very cool. Very cool. So could it be that they are kind of foreshadowing Bucky maybe not becoming Captain America but becoming White Wolf and putting on a like just even a like in we we know he's in Wakanda now. We know he, there's going to be a battle in Infinity War. Maybe he will uh, put on a Black Panther suit. Very interesting. Very interesting thought. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm actually I'm going to hold my thoughts on what I think is going to happen to Bucky because I think it's coming to a sad end for some major characters as we come up to uh, Infinity War later on this year. I'm have a feeling Bucky might be one of those characters, unfortunately. But uh, but we'll see. We'll see as those movies come along. It was cool to see him back. Uh, and I thought, even though the scene didn't seem hugely important, it's a guy walking out of a tent, effectively. But if you know who Bucky is and how important he is to Steve Rogers back from uh, the Captain America films, then then you'll know how important it is that this guy is now walking around, uh, surrounded by children, even though one of those kids could say train car to him and suddenly he's uh he's about to kill them all um but luckily the, the, the interesting thing was and I, I don't know guys the, these weren't the post-credit scenes i was expecting no no not not at all i don't know what i was expecting but i was expecting something slightly more epic i was expecting like a real everyone knows to stay for the the the, the end for the credits for marvel films mm. it's become we're 18 films in it's a known quantity. This felt, I don't know, it just didn't feel to the level of epicness that I would expect when you're coming, about to come into the next Avengers film, where it's like, it, and I say Avengers, I mean on the level of Avengers Assemble, 
where it's it's starting a whole new chapter in this universe mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like I was expecting two scenes, one maybe I don't know, like everyone meeting up to discuss something that is coming or blah blah blah. And then the second one of being Thanos going almost to the level of I'll do it myself kind of thing. I'm still I'm, coming. Don't forget about me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Almost like someone going up and saying, we're nearly there. Mm-hmm. But it, it it does feel like he's done that more often than any other post credit scene. It has been Thanos going, I'm on the way. I'm coming. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm still here. But it did feel like this movie needed to be a standalone film. It needed to be a movie. And I heard it a few times. Actually, I think we have some in our, in our feedback. I've heard it a few times of people going to their, their wives and their mothers and their grandmothers and grandfathers telling them, come see this movie it's something different if you want to go see a movie about a hero and something very different and you're happy enough seeing a superhero movie you don't need to have seen the other 17 marvel cinematic universe films to see this movie and i think that kind of bled into the post credit scene it felt like the reason why the scene with winter soldier was there with, with bucky was there is because just in case you were wondering where bucky was the last time we were in wakanda because that was the last scene we had at the end of, uh, of captain america civil war was them there in Wakanda, you would always have the question is, where's Bucky? Because uh, this can't be taking place before or after he was there. So uh, so they had to have it in. But that's the only reason it's there. The other post credit scene, as, I, as we mentioned in the podcast, should have been earlier on in the film, should have been a pre credit scene, as in a scene in the film. Uh, it doesn't feel like a post credit scene. It's something that he's standing up in front of of the uh, the UN telling them Wakanda is now open for business or open to talk and help the world. Um that didn't need to be a post-credit scene. It felt like a part of the film. So yeah. So yeah. While I do agree with you, Chris, we're getting very close to time uh, for Infinity War. But of all of the Marvel movies that have ever been around, does that one actually need any marketing to get anybody in any bums and seats? If you were uh, if we were able to pre-book tickets for it, I think we all would have our tickets by now, right? Yeah. Fair point. Fair point. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'll give you. I will give you that. <laughs> right. Just a very small note uh, at the end of our uh, discussion now for um, for Black Panther, the 18th film from the MCU. I just like saying 18th film. Quite a cool little Easter egg in there, T'Chaka, who is obviously the king of Wakanda at the, at the beginning of the movie. Um, the actor who plays the young version and the actor who plays the old version, the older version that we obviously already saw in Civil War, uh, they're both played by father and son. So um, that's why they look so alike. It's a really good thing to do is to cast uh, your son as yourself uh, yeah, in, yeah. in younger life and future. Uh, what is slightly confusing is that the actor Denzel Whitaker plays the younger v- version of Forrest Whitaker's character, Zuri. Uh, they're not related at all, even though they both have exactly the same surname. Um, so just quite confusing. Very clear. The uh, T'Chaka is played by father and son, and there is some confusion out there that the, that the other actors are also father and son, but they're not. So, uh, but a nice little touch there. Chris, any other notes about the movie? The final thing I just want to end on was the lack of a Infinity Gem. Mm. Um, again, kind of coming back to what you said about how this stays uh, very standalone. Um, we did have Ryan Coogler actually come out in an interview this uh, weekend following the launch saying yet that no, the Soul Stone was not in it. People have been speculating there are rumours, oh, it's the, it was encased in the vibranium, oh, it's the actual Purple Heart. Yeah, he was like, no, the, the actual uh, vibranium is the, the source of power, blah, blah, blah. It is not the Soul Gem. Yeah. Um, so we have not seen the Soul Gem. It is not in this film. It has been confirmed. Will they retcon that? Maybe. But uh, as of right now, there is no connection to the Infinity War, um, bar setting up some of the the, the, the characters 
that we know what they did between Civil War and the upcoming movie. And I think the reason why most people were, were thinking there was going to be a Soulstone there is because we do see a battle in uh, in the trailer for Infinity War at Wakanda, so you wonder why they're going to Wakanda if there is no Soulstone there. So, But it is interesting, yeah, that the original moment at the beginning of the film where they were saying how the vibranium landed in Wakanda, they were saying it's a meteorite that that landed on Earth, so uh, so potentially it's right at the centre of the meteorite. That's an easy way to, to get around it, uh, right at the centre of the vibranium is the Soulstone, but, uh, but no, that hasn't been in there. And as, as you say, it has been confirmed by Ryan Coogler that that's not in there. So Yeah, yeah. and uh, even people were speculating as well that the, the, uh, the access that the, the, the flower gives uh, T'Challa to talk to his ancestors was potentially mm. a part of it. It was a, a manifestation of the Soulstone, giving them, allowing you to talk to your ancestors. Again, no, that has been debunked. Yeah. So I'm interested to see where the Soulstone ends up, yep. but it is not in Wakanda as of this film, or it has not been discovered or talked about in this film, let's put it that way. Absolutely. Um, so that's all my notes. Well, before we get on to talking about Infinity War, which will be our next Marvel movie, I think, coming up uh, in the future, I think it's time to get on to our defense of this movie. John, do you defend Black Panther? I do defend the Black Panther, absolutely. Uh, I give this five vibranium-tinged heart flowers out of five. Um, It's not perfect, but I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, I really came out of it with a sense that this was something just unique in uh, the MCU. I loved what Ryan Coogler had done with this. I love that the the main protagonist and antagonist just weave in and out of my sympathies. You know, my loyalties were, were shifting. You know, uh, this is not a perfect um, leader of Wakanda in T'Challa, but he deals with um, these challenges so well. I thought Killmonger probably, uh, as Chris, as you had mentioned, the best villain that we've seen mm. in um the mcu and uh, i just loved all the other characters that surround t'challa these um strong women i love seeing everett ross back there they all added so many different layers strength humor uh, intelligence uh, it was all just so complete for me it felt really really good uh, i came out of this so uplifted so happy seeing this kind of movie in the mcu uh, and as i say it sort of challenges my top five of mcu movies mm. and, and that is why i defend this absolutely wholeheartedly so chris do you defend the black panther yes i defend this film um quite similar to you john is the film perfect no is it one of the better? Uh, and I, would I place it in my top five? Yes. Um, it is a fantastic standalone. Uh, as uh, Derek has said throughout this, as well, and I think I've echoed, um, the overall cultural appreciation and celebration that this film has brought through not just to the MCU, but to cinematic history in general. Um, it is, is it a factor? Not for me. But I can see why people have loved this film just being what it is. I am appreciating this film as an MCU film, um, as a film that has taken something, again, taken a character who I'm a bit like, 
meh, I've never been a huge Black Panther fan and has caused me to go, do you know what? I'm going to jump into Marvel Unlimited over the next couple of days and I'm probably going to go back and read some of the Marvel Knights runs and on Black Panther, read some of the other kind of storylines about him and kind of delve more into the character. Mm-hmm. And Because I'm now interested more and more about, as I talked about, I want to see now Shuri was Black Panther for a while. I want to see what Black Panther was doing during that time himself, what T'Challa was doing. I want to see what how Shuri took the mantle. I want to see all those things. Yeah. I'm interested in the characters they've given me. I'm interested in the, the setting. I'm interested in the overall antagonist. And he is one of the best villains. And I, I'm putting my hand in my heart and saying he really is one of the most well-rounded villains we've seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but the film's not perfect. But I still love it. Um, and yeah, I'm going to completely defend this film. Excellent. Be it to, to my core when people start, which we know will happen, people are going to start picking apart this film. Mm-hmm. But I, I think I have enough reasons to defend it consistently. And on that note, Derek, do you defend the Black Panther? I absolutely defend the Black Panther, not only because of, as you guys have already said, its status as now in my top five, which I thought was impenetrable from all of the Captain America movies, which basically take three of the top five, and two, and the Avengers and one of the Iron Man films, which have always been in my top five from when they came out. I thought that was impenetrable. I thought we'd never get another movie that would aim anywhere near the top of that. We'd always get something that would be in the top ten, but never get in the top five. After coming out of this movie, I felt inspired. I felt what can I do to help people who aren't, who don't have the same life as I do, just like the Wakandans? How do I get to live in that beautiful place? Is that Does that exist? Is it a real place? Because I want to go there. It looks awesome. Um, let me go to South Africa and discover all of the countries that are over there and see if there's one like Wakanda. Um, it's fabulous. It's just inspiring. And I think it's the kind of film that we need right now in the world. And that's why it's hit so well at time of recording which is uh, monday the 19th of february where um the weekend box office has come out worldwide uh, for the black panther it's been out just about seven days now and it's 361 million so far it's already made so uh, way beyond its budget so far i think a budget was somewhere around 240 million so um so it's already recouped the costs easily uh, there's rumors that kevin feige upon seeing the film called this the best marvel movie that they've ever done um after watching it with ryan coogler so Everybody seems on board knowing that this is the right film for now and taking a character and putting him in this situation. It's the right time to do it, really. So, yes, absolutely on board. Absolutely defend this film. Uh, I know we have a bunch of feedback coming up uh, to talk about the movie. Uh, I'm really happy to talk a bit more about it, guys. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Let's get on with the feedback. Absolutely. Our first piece of feedback actually came in last Tuesday before the movie opened. I think Frederick was sitting at home, really excited to go and see the premiere of it uh, last week uh, and sent in a little bit of feedback, which I thought would be interesting to discuss. Hello, Defenders. Uh, Frederick from Denmark here. I have a question for you. Um, In Fantastic Four by Jonathan Hickman, I think it was there that I read about the Pink Panda. (laughs) The Pink Panda? How about the Black Panda? That um, it got its power from an Egyptian god or something like that. It, uh, the tribe of the Black Panda got its intelligence and that's why it's so futuristically evolved. I don't think the movie will go into that, but um, I, I have a kind of a vague grip 
on this and if you know something about it could you uh, could you tell me a little more about it well uh, thank you if you can and on um, uh, all circumstances thank you for the podcasts uh, i enjoy them a lot thank you Thank you so much, Frederick. That's really good of you to send in a voicemail. If you want to send in a voicemail to us, fellow Defenders, for any of our podcasts, you can just go to our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com, click on the Send Voicemail button, and you can leave us up to 90 seconds of your thoughts about anything that we cover. Um, what Frederick is talking about, when I heard this voicemail, it was a couple of days before the movie was out, so I felt okay to listen to the voicemail because I knew he hadn't seen the film. So, And then I heard it and went, oh no, this is something I don't know anything about at all. So I had a look back. Uh, the issues that he's talking about is back in, uh, in Fantastic Four, Volume 1, uh, 607, which is uh, Jonathan Hickman's storyline, uh, which has Mr. Fantastic going back and learning some of the history about Wakanda and how the Black, pa- Black Panthers were created. What I loved was it did actually come into the film. It does show you Bast, one of the ancient uh, Egyptian gods, passing over the uh, the power of the Black Panther to the Black Panther tribe, to the warriors of uh, of Wakanda. I didn't expect that to be in the film at all. I thought this was going to be a real grounded in futurism, really, uh, film. I didn't think they'd go back in the past of uh, seeing how they got the power from Bast. I think that's quite cool. Very, yeah. I mean, this was really up front and center right at the beginning as you said Uh, and it was a great aspect to just immerse yourself into this world right at the start to get that bit of information about where this this nation uh, had come from from Mm -hmm. the vibranium hitting earth as a meteorite to these ancient gods bestowing uh, the knowledge uh, and power of this metal onto uh, the five tribes Uh, really really good i would also say frederick it'd be awesome to see a cameo of the pink panther in the (laughs) black panther i think that would be quite cool um for sure i absolutely expected throughout this podcast i would once call him pink panther yeah me Uh, too so don't worry frederick you didn't get that wrong it's okay it's okay um and for our Moon Knight loving uh, fans, uh, just to mention that Bast is uh, connected to Anubis, uh, who is also connected to Moon Knight. So the fact that they've put something like Bast on the big screen may mean that we will get a future appearance of something like Anubis connected to uh, to Moon Knight. So look out for that in the future. Have to keep the hope up for our Moon Knight loving friends. <laughs> There's always a sliver of hope. Exactly. Always. Exactly. Um, I, I, I was actually, I was completely shocked they went down this route. Mm-hmm. I am not going to lie. Um, I think I actually did, or I should say, I believe what they'll do at some point is pull the whole uh, ancient aliens type thing where we find out Bast and Anubis and all that were actually the collector slash the grandmaster, one of those kind of higher alien deities, and that they, they've come and they've just sowed technology, or in this case, a, a a herb that gives power, which actually is something else. I see that's where they'll probably go in the MCU. But that being said, we've seen mystical. Mm-hmm. A lot of mystical things happen in the MCU or in the Netflix version. So I have no idea. <laughs> to put it, <laughs> let's wait and see how this all connects. Definitely, yeah. Uh, John, do you want to take us over to our Facebook feedback? 
Yeah, you can uh, join our group over on facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV podcast. Come on, head on over and uh, join the group and community for all the discussions. Our first bit of feedback is from Mike Malone. Wakanda is beautiful. Costumes are gorgeous. Music was perfect. Solid story and performances. I thought Killmonger was probably the best MCU baddie thus far. That story and his motivation were stellar. Absolutely, Mike. Um, I think yeah, Killmonger is an absolute new benchmark for uh, antagonists within the MCU and what they can be. So here is looking forward to how they treat uh, Thanos, for sure, yeah. in Infinity War. Be really good. Uh, some more feedback from Jeff Childs, who goes, there are some fierce women in this movie. Absolutely. Uh, fierce, beautiful proud intelligent funny um they are all these things um that are the as equals i think to t'challa in, in that role so absolutely fantastic to see totally agree yeah totally agree chris do you want to take the, the feedback from tina brown yes tina went on and to say wakanda looked flat out amazing best looking movie marvel has ever done also easily best villain in a movie Great performances, and I was able to recommend that my mum seeing it because it was such a good standalone movie. She always worries she won't be able to follow series movies if she hasn't seen them all. It's going to get a number two ranking on my Marvel list behind Winter Soldier. That standaloneness that makes this such an accessible movie for tons of people is actually where it loses a couple of points for me. I like the ties to the greater MCU, and Winter Soldier was so good because it took Cap, Black Widow, and Nick Fury characters we spent several movies getting to know and love, and gave them a flat-out fabulous story to play in. I just don't feel as invested in T'Challa. Did anyone seriously think he was going to lose the first challenge with the mountain guy? <laughs> they sacrificed tension for world-building, and while I think Bozeman did really well, I don't think the script actually gives him much to do as the other heroes. He wants the throne, unlike Thor, so there's basically no internal conflict. I guess what I really wanted to see would be Black Panther 2, now that Wakanda is established. Where does T'Challa go from here? But this is more a personal preference. I still love it, but haven't seen much deconstruction in the reviews because of the love deserved for what the movie is and what it represents. Does anyone else feel like this, or is it just me? So, Tina, I'm... I'm as you've pretty much heard and hopefully have listened to all of this podcast and not just skipped to the feedback section, <laughs> I'm completely behind you. Um, the world building, as we said, Wakanda is a character in this and they spent a lot of time building that character. I want to see where it goes now. Um, as I said, a lot of the, the still question unanswered. They've set up Wakanda now. They've set up the characters. So where is the additional conflict going to come from? Um, as I was asking... They killed off one of what I consider a, one of the bigger and better characters or villains. So who is the villain going to be in mm -hmm. Black Panther 2? The one thing I can't say pretty much, and they haven't announced it, but I'm, I'm guessing from the box office takings in the first weekend, there is going to be a Black Panther 2 and they are probably going to fast track as quick as possible. Yeah. yeah Guys, what do you think? I, I'd absolutely say so, yeah. I think one of the interesting things that stands out about this movie, and we've kind of mentioned it here uh, in the podcast as well, is that this doesn't feel like Captain America's movie with 
um, with lots of other people around Captain America. It absolutely feels like the world of Wakanda movie where we have lots of strong characters all around. And maybe that's to the detriment of uh, Chadwick Boseman's uh, T'Challa, that he doesn't get as much screen time as he would if he were in a different film uh, because of so much screen time around him uh, given over to the other characters and the world building. But it's a better choice uh, for this character and a better choice for the film, it feels like. Uh, I don't think it would have cracked my top five, for example, if it, if it had been a movie of T'Challa in New York uh, solving crimes uh, with Daredevil or something, um, like he did in some of the comic books. Um, it feels like the right choice to make this movie a, an ensemble cast with tons and tons of great characters and great things going on. So, um, so yeah, I, I kind of see what you mean, uh, Tina, as it not being uh, as connected to the MCU, um, but it does feel like a, a really good film. It feels like up there in my top five, definitely. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think, you know, this is world building, as, as you've said, Tina, um, in, in the same way that I think Doctor Strange had to world build here, mm-hmm. in the same way that ultimately the first few Iron Men um, and, and Captain America, you know, world building uh, with regards to looking at the past and, and different, the current uh, mystical and magical. And, and now, um, again, the, this uh nation of wakanda i think it's interesting you you talk about thor and there's basically no internal conflicts and i think you're right there i think the conflict here and i don't think it's necessarily pulled out as much but it is he is responsible for his nation uh, as the leader and it's the conflict is about where he wants that that nation to to go is it to be um secret still inward looking uh, maintaining the status quo that his his father had seen to protect or is it to be much more outward looking uh, and uh, engaging in the outside world and what form does that take is it killmonger's version you know which he rejects um or a, a more humanitarian uh, approach to it and I, I think that's kind of the the conflict here that that he has and, and the struggle with what his his father did to preserve that yeah. so essentially do you join the eu or do you go into brexit it's that kind of thing yeah. absolutely yeah um <laughs> or do you build walls between yourself and your southern neighbors or do you make wakanda great again yeah is it walls or or bridges absolutely yeah. and i think that's uh here the the conflict uh, of of this absolutely uh christina sanchez over on our facebook group also says i love the complexity of the villains wonderful when they give you a character with motivation and perspectives that make you think and jeff charles responded with uh but he is still actually villainous when he shot through his girlfriend to get to claw you knew he was a bad dude that was a real surprise, actually, that, that moment where he, where he kills his girlfriend. It did kind of feel like that was his second in command, almost, the person that had been encouraging him to go on this path, and he just takes her out without a second thought. I think we don't even get more than a couple of lines with her, really, um, just pleading with him to not kill her, you know? Uh, nice, nice moment and proper, proper villainous moment. Uh, Ronaldo on our Facebook group, says, Just watched the movie tonight. I really enjoyed it and thought the world building was really good. Wakanda looks great. Bozeman owns the role and I love him in it. Shuri is a standout and one of the best characters in the film, I think. She grounds the fantasy and otherworldliness of Wakanda. Akoya is just kick-ass and I loved seeing her kick-ass when she says, So primitive in the car as they had the guy shoot at her. I was like, yeah, great moment. A few slight disappointments for me in the film, though. I was underwhelmed with both villains, Claw and Killmonger. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think they elevated any more than 
than any of the other Marvel villains. They did delve into Killmonger's past, but he really did feature not that much on screen and too much time between appearances for me to build any sort of emotion towards him. Uh, Claw was fun, but it bugged me that they killed him and Killmonger, meaning there is no more chance to develop them any further. Uh, just on this point, Ronaldo, I'll, I'll hop in and say I think I've probably seen enough of Claw in uh, in Age of Ultron myself and in this film. I think I'm kind of happy with, with what they've given with the character. It felt like a little bit, as Chris mentioned earlier on, a little bit of a one-dimensional character. Um, I do love the actor Andy Serkis, but since he's basically doing uh, motion capture for every single movie that comes out of Hollywood, I think he's uh, he's got a pretty full plate. So they're happy enough to have got him back for another MCU movie, I'd say. Ronaldo goes on to say... I also loved the epic final battle between factions, but thought the Killmonger Black Panther showdown was a bit flat, and I kind of cringed at how long Michael B. Gordon had to maintain the I'm dying my last breath chat with T'Challa. With <laughs> Overall, a very solid film, which I want to watch again, and on my list would hover around top five or so. Still, the sequel might absolutely rock since everything is established now. Also, I know it's not really his thing, but I loved T'Challa as James Bond in the illegal casino. Very cool scene. Thanks so much for that, Ronaldo. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with a lot of a lot of your points there. I do think Killmonger is up there with some of the best Marvel villains that we've seen so far, though. Um, I'd, I'd have to disagree with you on that point. But, uh, but overall, thanks so much for your thoughts. Yeah, Lisa Richardson goes on. Killmonger's line of asking to be buried in the ocean where his ancestors drowned instead of being sold into bondage killed me. His methods were awful, but his motives were understandable given tra his tragic upbringing. I loved how distinctive each of the women characters were. It's rare in most films to have multiple named female roles. Danai Guerrera is so good as Koya that she's wasted on The Walking Dead. Finally, I can't wait for Shuri to be introduced to Tony Stark and Peter Parker. She was smart, spirited, and fun as she fixes the broken white boys. Absolutely. I think um, I think the female characters in this movie, as you said, absolutely fantastic. Um, I don't want to see Michonne go too quickly from The Walking Dead, so uh, I'm hoping she can play both roles. These are two iconic ladies of the of the screen now. Um, definitely, I think Killmonger's character and as it interweaves with T'Challa and what that means, I think is really, uh, really good. Um, he is um, really good in, in that role, I think. Chris. Jim Carrey over on Facebook went to say, lots of characters. Perhaps not knowing many of the characters through comics was a detriment this time. I did think that they were all three-dimensional. I just couldn't keep track of them all. I could sort of figure out the, the context, but it was quite some time before I heard one of them was a general. I think it was a point of humor, but I did not like that here we have a tribal movie and often sounds of drumming or shouting were apparently over loudspeakers. Perhaps they took a page from Batman vs Superman because they gave the ladies very cool battle cry accompaniment. I've said before how much I despise other recent Marvel movies that have too much banter and frat humour. As an Uber driver, I get I got into conversations with three sets of riders over the weekend. All of them weren't disappointed in that aspect of the movie as well, and they loved Black Panther for its seriousness. In one of those conversations, we talked about the waste of Killmonger's life. In light of the offering to bring him physical healing and his conviction that he would rather die free than in bondage. I mentioned regret that this character was gone when it seemed like Reconcile was right there. It was obvious that T'Challa took responsibility for being his brother's keeper. Early on, I knew that Wakanda would not be secret by the end of the film. 
In this conversation, one thing was clear. Nobody was talking about race, responsibility, or even felt a twinge of sorrow after leaving that other Marvel movie, where heavy emotions and questions really would have been appropriate. Seems like the biggest trauma of that film was that an immortal warrior of the Nine Realms had been subjected to seeing a big green weenie or not being nicknamed Strongest Avenger. (laughs) Thanks so much for that, Jim. That's always very difficult to read when you're hiding the name of the film. I think it's probably because uh, you don't want to say its name out loud like Voldemort. (laughs) Uh, I'll say it. It was Thor Ragnarok, uh, probably my least favourite of the movies last year because it effectively is a comedy. Um, And I can understand uh, your your opinion there, Jim. There there didn't seem to be a huge amount of consequences to losing an entire planet and most of his society, whereas in this movie there's a lot of consequence by uh, the individual individual interactions between characters yeah uh, I, th- I think a really interesting point you know uh, that you say here jim that nobody was talking about race responsibility um w- within this because it was implied within the respect of, of the story of the of, of the movie um it didn't need to be um made uh that obvious and i thought that was a great aspect of this movie mm-hmm. i agree with some of your points Jim, the, the, the one, I actually was one of the guys that liked Thor Ragnarok just mm-hmm. for the difference that it brought to the MCU. I understand that you're talking about the consequences and the responsibility and everything here. Um, and I agree with you on some of those aspects. I just think I don't feel the same discontent for Thor Ragnarok as some other people. So I would say, let's say that the, the strongest Avenger in this one could be Black Panther or it could be a big green guy or point break. Who knows? <laughs> Mark Kirkman says, I love the film. I thought a few things could have been left out being a bit over the top, but overall it was really good film as a standalone. I thought this was great. The only issue I had was some of the CGI and the rhinos were a little bit over the top, but the flash Gordon scene with the tribe on the mountain was funny. Uh, I laughed and enjoyed that. Pake Allen went on to say, absolutely loved it. My only complaint was the CGI was a little bit too much here and there. Uh, But the great story and beyond phenomenal cast made up for it. Definitely one of the best MCU movies to date. Was in awe the entire time, and I'll repeat, the entire cast was perfect. It's been out for three days and it's already legendary. And I'll agree with you on that one. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Kristen Halgo's gosh, where to start. The music, the cast, the story, the hopeful message at the end. My favourite character, without a doubt, was the sister Shuri. She was full of life and energy. I loved it whenever she was on screen. The all-female army led by none other than our fierce Michonne, the use of the rhinos. This movie was absolutely everything I wanted it to be. Probably my only question mark was why on earth were Carby betrayed T'Challa so easily? It couldn't have been so easy as Eric presenting Claw in Wakanda that would make their history trivial and insincere. Oh, and Michael B. Jordan. He's come a long way since The Wire. He was fantastic. Cannot wait to see this again. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Kristen. He's also come a long way since Fantastic Four Stick um, as well. <laughs> uh, but like another... Uh, flaming man he uh, has really crafted out a new identity within the mcu through uh, his portrayal as killmonger definitely my favorite uh, thing i saw on twitter the last week was now we want to see uh, chris evans interview michael b jordan about how you make a career after being human torch uh, in a fantastic four film this is how you get into marvel apparently do a terrible fantastic four film and then uh, and then they'll give you a great career with a great character uh, thanks so much for that Kristen. really good uh, really good points there uh, i think 
Chris, you called out earlier on. I think it might have actually just been a dropped line about the fact that uh, Claw killed Maccabi's parents. That's why he was so pushing for the death of Claw. And effectively, what it, whoever it was that delivered that body to him is who he was going to follow. I think that's very good to call out um, because I, I don't think I even noticed that in, in the movie. Yeah, again, there's so much in this film. There's a lot of, I've seen a lot of people that are like, are slowly picking these out. So I can even say from the day we're recording, I'm seeing every day since it's released, I'm seeing a new article or a new breakdown in one of the kind of groups I'm in where people are going, Oh, did you see this and this and this and this? So like a plot hole yesterday that people were talking about was how the hell did, uh, how the hell did Killmonger even know where to find Wakanda in the city? Yada, yada, yada. He's never been there. He's from Oakland. He wouldn't know this stuff. He killed Claw. He couldn't have figured it out. Well, they actually explain that in the film. And, like, a lot of people are going, actually, are calling people out saying this is not a plot hole. So, please understand when I say this. It was all about he, when he's with his father uh, in the realm. He opens up the side closet and he finds a book. And in the book is an English and Wakandan um, script. So obviously Wakanda on one page and the English translation over. And there's a map in there where he finds the ring as well. And it's a map to Wakanda, the city of Wakanda and everything, the, where he would find it and all that. So there's a lot of pieces that people are kind of, they skip over quite fast. Not even skip over, they run by quite fast. So a lot of these things are in there. But I'm assuming a second viewing, a third viewing will open a lot of people's eyes. Exactly. Yes. Very smart of Ryan Coogler to put in uh, all of these little extra elements that uh, when you see it the second time, it'll add, uh, it'll add so much to the film. Uh, thanks so much for all of the feedback that's come in through our Facebook group, through email, and also through the website over at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Uh, we also got a new review over on iTunes. So that's another way to, uh, to let us know whether you're enjoying the podcast. Pop on over to Apple Podcasts or iTunes, as it used to be called, and uh, leave us a review. Yeah, sharing the love is always important. 300 Sunshine Goes, The Charming Fellows, and Ladies Sometimes are a pleasure to listen to after binging a second season of Daredevil en route to watching the other Marvel Netflix shows, including The Defenders. I binged the backlog of this podcast. Derek, John, and Chris are wonderful regular hosts with deep cut insights to the Daredevil comic history, as well as other pop culture references. You can tell their great friends and their lovely accents are a thrill to hear for this Yankee. Well, thank you very much, uh, Sunshine. You have provided Sunshine into the three hosts of Defenders TV podcast. Um, it is always great to get a, a review on, on iTunes. It really helps to grow the podcast. As Derek said, please head on over to either Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or any other good podcast catcher of your choice and just search Defenders TV podcast. Subscribe, rate, and leave a review if you would like to. And share the podcast too, sure. Why not? Yeah. To the grannies. Yes, I was just going to say, thank you, Tina, for actually talking to your mum and getting your mum to come and watch Black Panther. But you know what you should really do? You should go tell your grandmother. You should get your <laughs> grandmother to go watch Black Panther, then listen to this podcast. Because, if anything, I am consistent with my running gags. And I will continue until we start Jessica Jones. Which, But who knows? In Jessica Jones, will I ta- say, tell your brothers and your sisters? Maybe your nieces and nephews. Who knows? But just remember, share the love. Tell everyone about us. 
And if you can, subscribe over at DefendersTVPodcast.com forward slash iTunes and share the love. Absolutely. Thank you so much, fellow Defenders, for joining us for another epic Marvel movie podcast. Uh, As I mentioned earlier on, and John mentioned earlier on, we'll be back for the Damnation crossover event. Uh, We start that coverage on the 28th of February with Doctor Strange, uh, part one of, uh, of Damnation. That will also be connected to the podcasts over on Into the Night, the Moon Knight podcast, Sons of the Dragon, the Immortal Iron Fist podcast, and Inner Demons, a Ghost Rider podcast. We're really looking forward to that crossover. Hope you join us for that. And as Chris mentioned there, we will be doing Jessica Jones back on the 8th of March on Netflix. Yes, absolutely. Uh, With that, I'm going to nibble on an Easter egg that Chris lovingly chucked into this episode of Defenders TV podcast. Uh, As always... Thank you so much for listening, and we'll speak with you next time. Yes, thank you so much, guys. I'm off to Wakanda, and uh, the only thing I can scream is Wakanda forever. Mm -hmm. Bye. Bye. So one thing we didn't mention during the podcast at all is the soundtrack for this film. Uh, I, have, I have to say the score is fabulous. That moment when uh, when he's getting crowned as king or when the challenges are coming in, excuse me, in, in Wakanda and T'Challa is standing there and everybody is effectively beating the drum and and, uh, and going along with the music there is fabulous. Uh, and then the soundtrack by Kendrick Lamar is, is really good. But very different for a Marvel soundtrack. It's one of the songs on that, which is effective. I think it's the King is Dead. Um, it's the it's effectively Killmonger's theme. Yeah. But the whole thing ends off with the singer going, F- "Father, your mother, children, life, your home, everything." And I'm like, this is on a Marvel soundtrack. What's going on here? I do understand that urban music does have and rap music has a lot of uh, of cursing in it and stuff, but I wasn't really expecting that. You know, the kid comes home from from the cinema after seeing this movie, goes out and buys the soundtrack and sticks it on. Uh, parental advisory, explicit lyrics on Marvel. No, they'll movie. just have a clean version now. They can't. That's what I mean. It's that you could not possibly have cleaned that song other than taking it off the soundtrack. <laughs> well, that's what they'll do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly.